You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Millionaires, Jeffree Star. Uh-huh. To grind the hardcore podcast of note. I'm Patrick Henley. I'm Bob. I'm Tom. I'm Ian. And Ian's joining <laughs> us. So ceremonious. Uh, <laughs> I wanted. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to wait to be. No, that was perfect. I like that. Ian, Ian joins us. Yeah. Where are you from, Ian? Where do people know you? Uh, I play in a band called Regional Justice Center. I play in a band called Self-Defense Family sometimes with Patrick. And uh, I just started a band called Military Gun. Okay, and, and uh, you're speaking to us uh, what from where? I'm currently in Patrick Kinlan's bathroom. Or Patrick Kinlan's, the condo that... The refuge condo. Speaking yeah. refuge in. Uh, uh, currently in, in the bathroom while Patrick is in the kitchen or dining room. We had, we had to cut down on the echo. We had to cut down on the echo. Yeah. We're both Skyping, and I'm watching you talk, th- and you're on a gamer headset. <laughs> it's a, it, you are my favorite guest we've ever had now. <laughs> it sounds good. He might be our best-sounding guest so far. And we, that, we all, the, yeah. The $20 gamer set off of fucking Amazon, you know, shout out Bezos. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ian's going to pwn the noobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's easy to get. Two days. That's cool. Uh, so what's up, dudes? How's everything going? Ian, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to have a nice time. Yo, you know what? My favorite part of that intro you did was I play in a band called Self-Defense Family with Patrick sometimes. What's that dynamic? Because like, we hear it from Patrick. Are, so, you in the, are you in the chat or are you kind of like in the minors and get called up? Are you in the he, main he acts chat? Like he's like the captain and he like you, you guys are lined up. And he's like, you know, all right, I'll take you. I'll take you. Look, he's picking sides in so, gym class. Uh, so, the, so there's a pretend non-hierarchy. Okay. Where <laughs> if, if you show up and you're not one of the A-team, all you hear the whole time is how everyone wishes that the other person was there. <laughs> That's such a good bit, though. You know what I mean? That's a good bit. No, they're not as a bit. It's just like, man, I miss Alan. You're like playing the bass, and you're like, Alan's so good at the bass. And you're like, <laughs> you're like oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, this is fake news. No, I mean, <laughs> yo, yo, you know what, though? I remember when Andy Rice was playing drums and filling in for self-defense 10 years ago, and all those dudes would be like, or end of a year even maybe at that point, those dudes would be like, yeah, Andy's great. He's great. But he's he's not Eric, and it was just yeah. the said with this tone of like love and like deference in this different way. It's like, yo, but he's great. But you know, for yeah, being a freewheeling group, there's definitely a lot of wistful thinking about who's not around. Listen, this is just Metallica shit. Metallica became the biggest band in the world by behaving like this. I didn't catch any of that. Yeah, you went to <laughs> yeah, yeah, the fuck up. 
<laughs> so that's that's happened a few times, and then it's okay on the recording. So we'll we'll catch the punchline there. Um, yeah. So regardless, thank you for joining us, Ian. We're going to get into it before I have a question we do. For Pat. Go for before it before we do yeah. the re- yeah, yeah. along these lines. Has have you ever had more more people than you needed show up? For, to oh. be self defense, like it, like a double, like you know, like you're on a date with one girl and the girl that you went on a date with yesterday showed up. Like, has Ian showed up at an LA show and be like, yes. Fuck, we're gonna have to find a second? Yes, this happened once. Thing. Two drums, whatever. Yeah, it did happen. Well, it was supposed to be two drums, but they and then I started getting texts the day before the show after I stayed in LA a whole week <laughs> saying, um, saying, what if we just brought a floor tom? And I was like, ah, yeah, that's funny. And then they showed up with just a floor tom. And then I kept going. We were at band practice. And I kept going, we don't have to do this. Um, <laughs> and then everyone's like, no, 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 no. And then uh, we showed up to the show and there wasn't. And I was like, all right, well, let's at least add a snare. And then they wouldn't ask uh, anyone for a snare stand the day of the, of the show. So I just was like, I'm just going to sit this out and watch the show, guys. Wow. A week for a self-defense show. Yeah, I, pic- I, was, I picture I Patrick. <laughs> I picture Patrick uh, like the um, dinner scene in Mrs. Doubtfire as Robin Williams running back and forth between two tables. Well, no, uh, see what actually the deal is is that no one's actually like an asshole or anything. It's just that no one cares. Yeah, yeah. Like it's no like one cares to help. Theory. No one cares to do anything to like. Yeah, it just. So yeah, there's I a good. Know. There's a good side of that because no one cares to say no. But no one is interested in saying, sure, let me help make this all work, other than, yeah, you can come, show, bring what you need, kind of. Yeah, honest. exactly, yeah, yeah. But they so, were supposed to bring me what I need, and that was what was discussed, and it just didn't happen. So, so what it really is is that there's a, there's a few good players in self-defense and then a couple, like, uh, like solid players, and that has worked – like where people just show up and like, oh, it'll work out because everybody's good at what they do. And that has just extended to the complete mentality where it's like, oh, it'll work out. And it's like, no, that's not how that shit works at all. So on occasional on occasion, we fuck ourselves by being like, yeah, we're good. What's the difference? Yo, you can't play through equipment that doesn't exist. It doesn't matter how good you are. True good yeah. point. <laughs> uh, I like the 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 fake non-hierarchy so getting into it uh let's let's talk about sponsors real quick pk why don't you kick us off sure i'm going to talk about death wish death wish inc that's deathwishinc.com when you uh, go to uh, use your promo code uh i just wanted to talk about things that i think should have sold through or, or things that were just curious to me uh like <clears throat> there's a victim's record from now many years ago but uh I was just kind of surprised to see that it's still available and not because victims was ever like a big band in the U S or anything like that, but just because this is a band that people like, this is a $5 record and it's bizarre to me. Now, now Bob, you and I were talking about it and you said, this is maybe the, the record post the, the record, right? So like this is a seven inch that came out post the record that people know them from. So there might not have been like a, a clear incentive for people to try later material, but I just want to point out that, the, like, yo, sometimes you revisit later material and it fucking rules. You know what I mean? So, so I, I don't know. I, this one stood out to me, and I'm sure I could do the same thing with uh, a couple other records. 
in, in this catalog. Uh, but that's the one that jumped out to me for a $5 record that I don't think is going to disappoint really anybody. Uh, no. And I, I, I urge everybody to check it out. So uh, by this time, uh, Bob, correct me if I'm wrong, by this time, Victims was uh, doing kind of the post-crust, post-DB path that everybody had to go, where you had to go slightly bigger room, like not bigger room, bigger room sounding and more melodic. Is that about right? Well, sure. They were kind of like, you know, Swedish punk band. And where do you go after you do three, four albums, you know? And and <clears throat> I think they actually, in a cool way, their sound evolved in a, a like a form that would make sense more than anything else. Like, they kept a lot of the attitude and grit, but were expanding what they were doing musically. So, I mean, I think what you said is exactly right. A lot of times bands like this, I actually had a conversation about um, another band, I guess I can talk about it, but, but a band like this, you might prefer the classic still. Maybe it's for nostalgia. Maybe it's that's the record you came in on, but this band more than most was very consistent in growth and what their sound was. They didn't go cock rock, you know what I mean? There was no no jump off point. Um, the band I was talking about with some friends was the band Inepsi, who were like a Montreal like uh, discharged Motorhead band, and it's really eighty percent Motorhead, twenty percent Discharge. And the first LP, Rock and Roll Babylon, is like a fucking masterpiece to me. Second LP, City Weapons, is all right, and the third LP is kind of cock rock. Um, but I got friends who ride for it, and I'm like, you know what? It's been a long time. The first LP I go back and revisit because I love it. But the second LP I haven't given time to in a while. And the third LP I probably heard once. So uh, Victims is another one where the first three full lengths I know. And then beyond that, I'm like, oh, I trailed off. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your advice on this and check it out as well. Do you remember when Inepsi patches were omnipresent? I do. Yeah, it was like 2002, three somewhere in there. It went wild, yeah. Uh, always had problems getting into the States because the singer had a criminal record, and I'm pretty sure they were one of the bands from Montreal who used to do the thing where the band minus singer drop him off in a field somewhere in Quebec. <laughs> they'd drive over. He'd walk across some fields into Vermont, and they'd pick him up on a road. Yeah. Uh, Street City uh, Kids. If I wasn't confident that uh, Trudeau himself listened to this podcast because he's a snitch, uh, we could talk about which uh, pathways into Canada are, are the most lax and which ones are the most stringent. Um, so everybody, uh, go to uh, deathwishinc.com. Uh, uh, enter the promo code. Extra grind. You, you need me to do this now? Okay. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, uh, get, get your, get your uh, percentage off. Uh, and make sure that you <laughs> spell it out. Thank you. And yo, know, I think we got we got a guest read today. So Ian, who are you reading for? I'm gonna read for Closed Casket. You're wearing, uh, you're wearing the hoodie today. It's a good look. It's a good it's a good label. Uh, good I'm I in in recent history the record I've listened to the absolute most is the Criminal Instinct LP. Uh, I don't know if you guys have shouted that out before. I'm sure you guys have, but that's like just purified hardcore to me. So I just, I listen to it on repeat and it's pretty short. So it's like, it gets the like full playthrough factor, like, you know, three, three times sometimes. Here's so. a question for you. Do you think the average regional justice center fan uh, gives criminal instinct the time of the day that they should? 
I'm not sure. You know, I really feel like I don't have an idea of what our fans are actually like. Because sometimes it's like the PV crusty kids, and some we're like definitely liked within hardcore, hardcore. So I really don't know which is which. Criminal Instinct is definitely in our like uh, people also listen to on Spotify. Yeah, so. yeah, that's kind of cool, and I think that actually works because Criminal Instinct is a band who, no matter what type of hardcore dude I've played them for or listened to them with they're always interested because it's hard but it's really fast and it's fun yeah man there's dudes who who listen and go yo this is this band who's like borderline sounds like an early 80s hardcore band you know what I mean like it's fast and it's got just like a fat like you said like a punk beat so um, Criminal Instinct the last LP terrible things you can get that you can get that at closedcasketactivities.com Enter the promo code. Axe to grind. You spell it out. Oh, look at that. We don't even have to do it. So thank you. We all know it. We all know it. Y'all know it. Y'all know it. Uh, Thank you also to To Live a Lie and Run for Cover Records. Same promo code. Get your discounts. All these labels got stuff going on. Support them. Support them. Support them. Thank you. Let's fucking get into it. Yo, Ian, you're joining us today mostly because... You're due. We've, we've wanted you to ha- come on for a while. I've been talking about it for a long time now. I know. I'm very excited to have you on. Um, you do another, first thing first, you do another podcast with Patrick called? I don't care if this ruins my life. Which is a cool podcast where you guys talk about your creative endeavors, the goods, the bads, the, the uglies, the beautifuls, um, including LBGT, Russian uh, app. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're we're all the place. It's it, like right now. It's an interesting time because basically we're Pat's moving forward a little bit, but definitely my career is pretty much on hold, and it can only be so interesting for me to go like, yeah, I've just been at the practice space every day. <laughs> like, uh, it's yeah, it's you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be definitely be interesting on the other side of all this, figuring it out and yeah. uh, knowing that things product. My job will be legal again at some point. Yeah, so so what I think is the best thing I can say about I don't care if this ruins my life is that people who listen to Axe to Grind go, oh, I listen to this podcast and it, it makes me appreciate Patrick more. I like him more. There's people who don't listen to Axe to Grind because they don't give a shit about hardcore who listen to your podcast and are like, oh, this is really cool and both inspiring and feels like something that resonates with me as someone who's trying to do things and be creative. So I hope everyone checks it out. Uh, worst possible timeline makes people think Patrick's an Alex Jones monster. If you want the other side of that, go listen to this thing. There you go. It's all true. Hey, Pat, what did you think about your boy talking about eating his neighbor's asses? Alex Jones? Yeah. Who else? My, my, my dude? Well, I, I, that could be multiple guys in my life. Um, uh, you know what? Alex does what Alex does. You know what I mean? I like when, that your uh, first name basis with this douchebag. <laughs> if, if Alex needs, if Alex needs me, he knows to bring, reach out. I, I hope that he gets to the other side of uh, his. You know, he, he, look, Alex Jones is actually podcasting from the other bathroom here in the, <laughs> com- <laughs> Pat, the is complex. Pat, yeah. up so you can offer yourself as tri- like as tribute to like so his kids don't die. Here's what I'm gonna say. We've all got ups and downs. Sometimes we say insane shit. It is what it is. He's been you know. for like 10 years, bro. <laughs> well, sometimes we have a brain problem for 10 years. I will say that is probably one of the least offensive things that I've heard that dude say. Like, I'm not yeah. – like, 
He's saying, I will eat their ass. One, I thought it was funny. Two, I was way more offended by his wife fake outraging on it on Twitter. Like My she superpower came out. is telling the truth. My superpower is telling the truth. Now, can you imagine being his neighbor? I yeah, they're getting their ass eaten right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe people use that as like, well, I mean, if he's going to do it, you want to try it first. I mean, who knows? Right. Sure. Fucking get this shit out there. We've, we've talked about this on this podcast. There's a brain disease that we all suffer from, which is taking people that we don't like hyper literally and taking people that we do like in a, in a joking uh, uh, spirit with a lot of latitude uh, to what they're saying. Uh, people that don't like Alex Jones are definitely going to hear everything he says and say, yo, this guy is a dangerous lunatic. Close friends of his, such as myself, know that that's just how the guy, he just, he's got a sense of humor. Yeah, I mean, that one I took more funny than, than anything else. Uh, if anybody wants to read, go find his wife's Twitter. It was kind of being circulated, and I saw it, and I was like, good God. Because she not only it's not only like a half-boast, like, I'm the former owner of Infowars.com, but then it's like, Alex is certifiably insane. I'm trying to get my kid, rest my kids away from him. I'm so terrified of what he'll do. He says these crazy and post the I'm going to eat their asses video. And I'm like, yo, what? There's 1,000 videos where you could really say, all right, I, I get why you wouldn't have a chill child around this dude. But, you know, if we get That's to cannibalism, not- if we get to cannibalism, whose side do you want to be on? Oh, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a thick boy. He could fucking if he put his if he put his weight into it, he's definitely knocking someone down. Alex Jones is no joke. Like he's like a big body dude. So and what, two, there's two ways to win with that. If, if he's on my side, maybe we maybe I can use his muscle. But if if things get tight for me, maybe I can kill him in his sleep and I eat him. So I see a no lose as far as the cannibalism. thing. Why do Alex I feel Jones. like you're just going to throw Eric at him and run? Yeah, that's more likely. <laughs> Um, uh, way. I should have brought so, this up. This dude was like, "Oh, Alex Jones, I'll talk for an hour about it." <laughs> so let's let's, get back to Ian. This is more, yeah, interesting. Ian's yeah, more interesting than Alex Jones. Let's swing it over. Yo, you got a new record that just came out last week? Yes, the regional Jurdis Center <laughs> seven inch. <laughs> Tell, and that's on that's on alternative labels. It's it's on Popwig and Alternatives uh, split release. That's nice, fucking cool. Which makes sense. It's a split release in a lot of senses. Yeah, yeah. It's the two the two creative heads of the record, both of our record labels. So no one's left holding the bag. No one's left to profit very much either. <laughs> yo, yo. The 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 secret part of doing split releases, which I've done a lot because I wanted to put out records, but boy, that's daunting. There's a lot of money that goes out on even just a seven inch. So it'd be like, Oh, let's, let me split release it. And then you realize like, Oh shit. So what we're doing for this one, which like, um, we're, we're talking as though the record is currently out, but we're pre-recording. So I'll, I'll give that away to just, cause I don't know the reality of what the, no, what it looks like man. right now. Let's do it. Um, are instead of, cause the big problem with co with split releasing, in my opinion, is the multiple web stores, launching the same day so what we did is we're housing all of the copies that we're willing to sell online in one web store at just regional justice center uh dot limited run dot com so that way um we're not competing it's not going to be like trying to direct people's attention it's gonna be here's the streaming and here's the physical and that's that's it you know 
Um, and then whatever goes to distro after what it goes to distro after, you know, sure. but we're not trying to promote fucking three web stores or whatever. Right. Right. So, I mean, I want to talk about the record more, but first <clears throat> that's like an interesting thing to me is the idea of, of thinking that out because what happens when you, th for you, what is your opinion when a record is split released and all of a sudden you have eight different places to buy it? Well, so we did that with our, so our, um, our first LP world of inconvenience was on to live alive forever, never ends. And then two labels in Europe. So that's four links we had to promote. And then I, and as I'm always very, um, aware of the money put forth as someone who runs a record label myself. So I'm like, uh, how do I get more? This, this label got 60 orders at first. And then this one only got 40 or something. It's like, how do you make sure all the investors are covered is the hard sure. part. Um, yeah, Pat, did you hear that? Pat, did you hear that? How do I make sure everybody's covered? Yeah, or like promoting stuff and making sure everything's equitable. I just didn't know if you heard that from. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he, he, I, I have to hassle about posting our shit too. Oh, weird. Um, but yeah, so it was just about you know it. That's the worst thing, and and then it's then it's a competition. So like what we did is we just named we're like there's alternatives orange and popwig blue because I think that those colors correspond to labels. But ultimately, like when if like if these are going to go out into their own web stores and they don't sell out from the initial drop, then we'll actually ha then it'll turn into exclusives. But sure. beyond that, like it's all going to be housed in the one spot. So cool. Yeah, I mean. That's that's such a funny thing to talk about. We we hassle Patrick's ass about promotion all the time. He's he's trying. He's got a brain disease with it, but he's trying. Um, sure, he's promoting Alex Jones instead. I mean, I I understand. He's got sure, his there's more money in that. I'm just closer with him. Wow, good to know. <laughs> so, tell me about the record. Let's talk about the regional Jurtis Center. So yeah, the record is is me and Justice from TUI and Angel Dust, and uh, it is the result of someone tweeting the words, "I wish that Justice sang for Regional Justice Center, so it'd be Regional Justice Center." And we, I don't know, we both just love the idea, so we're like, "Fuck it!" Like we collaborate via doing music videos together. I've done three music videos for Angel Dust, and we work well together. And so it was just kind of like, "Fuck it, why not?" Yeah, that's really cool. I, and I mean, I think the record is really cool. It feels, it feels. I mean, it's a regional justice center record. You know, it feels like it. Um, so, you know, what was the biggest? Was there anything when you did it recording? This is the first material you didn't sing on for RJC. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you write the lyrics or did Justice? So Justice. So we co. So Justice wrote the second song on the record completely himself and then we co-wrote the first song on the record which like you can definitely tell the differences between what i wrote and what he wrote like i wrote like the the beginning blast section and the punk beat part and he wrote the kind of the, the breakdown area where definitely he gets more tui than yeah. uh than than he has in a while so can i say i love that dude's vocals on fast fast shit like it he, works great yeah he really rocks with it um, he he was definitely he was tripping a little bit like like not sure like he never sung over something that fast so it was like definitely a process of just being like no nah, just do it and, he, and then he just killed it it was great nailed it um Tom wait so I have a question I have a question for Tom for me yeah sure do you think this sounds like spaz 
Um, I feel like anytime I've heard you talk about fast stuff, I, I, I hear you say it sounds like spaz. So I wanted to put this to the test. No, I don't think so. I think mostly I get the spaz voice. They're like, uh, oh, no, no. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, this, I mean, this doesn't have that for sure. No, 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 no. I think a lot of, um, I actually really like spaz too. And that's why I kind of always go back to them. Those are, that's one of those bands from back then that hit for you. seemed to hit like, Hardcore and like them and Infest or whatever. I don't know why, but like those are things that we all like. Well, as- both Cookie Monster bands for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I thought the yeah Bob sent me the two songs and I thought they were fucking great and it was cool to hear his voice over it. Now, is it the actual band with him or did you guys just write it together and play it together? So it's it's my songwriting and then uh, I just went in and recorded it with Taylor Young and then then a couple days later. T- Justice came through with me, and, and we recorded the vocals. Awesome, awesome. Well, so what else? I mean, without spilling any secrets, what do you? What else you got creatively going on? I know you are not working right now, as you kind of alluded to. Musically, what else you got going on? You got the military gun thing that I actually really fuck with, um, but I, it seems like you're going a little crazy with nothing to do. Uh, I'm going well. So my whole thing is that like. Uh, having to chase money is what takes me away from music because there's no money in music. So uh, now that it's like, oh, yeah, guess what, fool? You're just not going to make money. I'm like, oh, okay, well, then I'll just make music. Um, (laughs) Before all this, I mean, we – so RJC currently has – we have another 7-inch coming out soon and then uh, just wrapped up our – recording our LP. So we have that, and then I just finished a Military Gun record. And as well as some covers for some benefit comps. So there's no shortage. I just spend as much time as possible at the practice space trying to get as much as I can done. So, You know, with that, it's, it's funny to think about this. Like, if you're, I mean, Patrick, you, you, we, didn't, we haven't talked to you about this. What have you been doing creatively during this bullshit? Anything? Uh, I've been writing. Because you're a different dude. You are a different dude than Ian in a lot of ways on this. So I want to hear what you were doing. Uh, well, I've had the good fortune of being, of having uh, like very specific creative shit that I got to get out. So like I'm like, I'm a, I'm still got to finish these comic books that I'm writing uh, in the hopes that comic books exist in five months, which is uh, dicey. Um, so staying busy with that, uh, releasing these self-defense records, which Ian has helped me record. Yeah, local. we've been working on those together. Uh, that has been a, real blessing right now because that material is old but like some of it had no vocals so at least i can like i'm not spinning my wheels i'm doing something right. uh, which has been fulfilling and also just putting out records is fulfilling to be honest because like even sh- simple shit like selecting artwork i've been oh, and yeah. I, I mentioned this on a recent episode of the and Ice podcast i've been buying the shit out of artwork if you are if you are like a hardcore uh, adjacent or hardcore fucking artist of some type that you sell shit and I'm not in your DMs, that just means because I don't know about you. You know what I mean? Because I'm just like buying people's art like crazy for future projects just because I think at this exact moment a lot of people benefit from a hundred bucks. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I've been Mr. Curator at the moment. Yo, that's that's a cool thing. Um, I so mean, Pat, I got a question. Hey. All right. You guys can all see each other. You can't see me because my stupid camera doesn't work, so I can't raise my hand, so I interject sometimes, so I apologize. Um, so these old songs, 
are these like things that you had vocals and lyrics written to you just didn't record or like are you getting this music and writing to it in 2020 uh the the, the latter uh okay. ian seen seen me record a dozen times it's always the same process i show up with absolutely nothing listen to the song five times write the lyrics record them poorly then uh depending on the nature of the engineer they yell at me uh make me do it several times and then I still deliver something that's like probably kind of anemic and shitty to the engineer to chop. I do like six takes of something and say, do your best. Uh, because, yeah. So uh, I've been an engineer lately. So it, it's been, it's been nice. I, I just give Pat occasionally like a, like, Oh, try the line this way instead of what he's doing. Or like maybe minor, like lyric changes that don't change the meaning of what he's saying, but that will flow better. Cause this fool loves words. <laughs> you know i thought there was one song that might have been the most recent one you put out that i was like did this motherfucker get the idea from something he said on the podcast or he had it in his head because you were like i never want to be someone to tell someone else how to live their life or whatever the fuck it was oh yeah no that, that those are all recent lyrics so but here's what's crazy Tom. like what came first uh well, probably podcast Probably podcast. That's pretty funny. Uh, like something from Axe Grind made your. Oh. Also, um, can I get your? And then we got back to Ian. Sorry, but the that no, I, um, I we never heard your response to the guy who wrote the tribute song about buying an N sixty four in the parking lot. Did you watch that video? I, oh yeah, I shared it. Uh, so, so here's my thing. Pretty amazing. Uh, I am now so cocky that like even if that was a deep insult which it wasn't i thought that was really nice and all that but like you know like bob's pointed this out anytime somebody's talking about me i'm pretty satisfied you know what i mean <laughs> so, good or bad it don't fucking matter to me so like uh I, i'm at the I, like if like again that dude was being respectful but funny but i get a lot of messages from people that are just straight up disrespectful and i don't think a thing about it as long as it's like Nobody's threatening me, you know. It's so like. Do you really? I, people get nasty. So people, I I've got a weird relationship. People have pointed this out to me before. For whatever, however I conduct myself in the public sphere, it invites people to treat me like, like, uh, I don't know, like the uncle that they can fuck with. You know what I mean? Like because they'll, <laughs> they'll drop into my they'll drop into my DMs and say rude shit, and then when I play along with it they're just so fucking satisfied. Like, it's like what they want, you know what I mean? Yo, <laughs> so people like, do that shit to me too, but I don't respond. I just don't respond. <laughs> so I hope they feel weird. That's been my thing. Lately, I've also just started saying I don't like that to people oh, so that they yo, feel yo, mad weird. Go. Yeah, like, 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 like instead hard. Of, Oh, yeah, I love it. It's my move. For me, I'm just like, you don't know me like that. Don't be, I don't feel comfortable joking and being sarcastic with someone I don't know. Like, not like like partially morally to some degree where I'm like I'm not trying to get into some like I'll say some crazy shit but I'm not saying it with somebody I don't know where they're actually where their heads at you know yo, yo let, let me put this out there for the world uh, if you're not familiar with someone just act like that if you're familiar you and and I get it I actually Patrick I get it why because there's people out there who have spent the last however many years. Maybe consuming your art, maybe consuming your writing, and maybe consuming your podcast. So that means they're spending X amount of hours with your voice yeah. and hearing you. And so there becomes a level of familiarity. 
I think Tom, we've dealt with that. I've dealt with that. Ian, I'm sure you've dealt with that. And it's just where people start to think that you're more familiar. And I mean, we've had situations not that far in the past where somebody was acting too familiar if they knew one of us, but not the others, or, or I knew two of us, but not the other. And they, you know, you almost recall and go, whoa, you know what? I'm actually not that familiar with that person to be able to goof like that. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's a good thing and a bad thing. You know, like, <clears throat> I don't, because of the same side, you do get a lot of people who end up being vulnerable in the, like, positive way where they're expressing appreciation and gratitude. But then you also get the, like, hey, uh, this helped me through some hardship, which that's tough to, to na- navigate. But then you also get the people who, are, you know, like want to yank- joke about X, Y, and Z. It's like, yo, you don't, you don't really, and don't do that to me and Pat, to like me and Bob about Pat or vice versa. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I bust. People Pat want me to talk shit on Pat, Pat all the time. Yeah. And I, I love that. I, I love Pat. I'll say it on like I'll say it on the internet. Thanks, I, so thanks, I got it back. Tom, let, let me say what's typical. Typical is uh, I'll be like, got a haircut, and like six people will drop in that I don't know will drop into my DMs to be like, yo, you look fucking ugly. And and <laughs> with I I appreciate your candor or I, or I respect your right, honesty. Right. And then they respond with I'm here for you. You know what I mean? Like like so they don't know me, but they know that I don't give a fuck about like I'm not going to get sensitive. So they so they feel comfortable dropping in. Now I should say that is me. I am comfortable with that. But Tom made a very good. So Bob, you made the point, and then it's, Tom put the hard underline on it, which is. It gets uncomfortable if you want me to say something uncharitable to somebody I care about, but where it is, it is really, here's where I would tell people to check themselves. Yes, you don't know me, but you know me in in the capacity that I, that I talk a lot and, and you hear my voice and that is me. So, okay, you you know enough about me, but if I mention someone like if I'm dating a woman, it's not an invite to be familiar with her. You know what I mean? That shit is weird. Don't do that shit. Don't reach out to my family and be familiar with them. <laughs> so what I'm saying is you can drop into my DMs and call me ugly. This is actually an invite. If you're just a person that's got like a weird streak in you that just like gets off on saying something. Like I got a Russian dude. I got a Russian dude that straight up just calls me the worst fucking names every time I put something up. Every time I put like a like a little story on my Instagram or something, he'll be like, "God damn, you are such a bitch," and I'll be like, and "I'll be like," and, but he's just this Russian fucking strange guy that does this to me all the time, and I don't think a thing about it. But don't if he was if he like contacted a woman I was with and said, "God damn, you are an ugly bitch," I'd be like, "Oh, okay, listen here, hey, Russian." Turn, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I got right. four cookies in my mouth right now. I'm getting up to 160 quick, like <laughs> quick. But yeah, so uh, you're, everybody here is right. I've said on a n- number of occasions, I am more available and familiar than a lot of musicians are. So if, what's comfortable for me is not comfortable for other people. I've said that about be- on stage, particularly. You know what I mean? Like you're welcome to touch me on stage. Don't presume that about every artist. You know what yeah, I mean? Well, so, Let's circle this back into to like as a larger picture. That kind of familiarity is that a hardcore thing? Is that because you know, like, yo, the internet isn't—it's a big place, but it ain't that big. And you end up seeing people all over hardcore internet, and you end up knowing people. You end up knowing people who you don't know their names, and you never really talk to them. But then you have these ideas about them. Is that—is that a new phenomenon? Is that you know, internet shit? 
in a small subculture? Okay, I, I actually, it's funny you asked that question. I had a thought about that today because I saw two people who I don't know what the fuck they do. I don't think they do shit. And, and I'm, this isn't me knocking them because they just obviously got personalities that people like and follow on, on the internet. But they're like the equivalent of scenesters back when I was a kid. And I thought the whole scenester thing died, like where you just didn't serve really a purpose, but everybody knew who the fuck you were. I thought that that was over, but hardcore has got a couple of these uh, YouTube, or not YouTube's, uh, TikTok? Twitter. No, I'm, I just sound old as fuck. It got a couple of these cartridges that you put in your fucking uh, play game. <laughs> but you know, they got uh, a couple of these uh, Twitters that you'll see shared a lot and you'll be like, oh, 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 is this the kid from, and you're like, nah, that's not the kid from anything. This is just a dude who like is notable, but I, I don't, he doesn't create anything. So and like, I got earlier today, I was, I was talking to my roommate and, and he was saying, um, we were talking about punishers in general. And I was like, yeah, like I don't mind punishers as long as they're good intention. He's like, well, is there bad intention punishers? And I think it's that those Twitter personalities that think that their opinions are somehow elevated, even though they don't create anything like that fucking sucks, blah, blah, blah. Like it, like it, and they think they're like in with everybody, like tapping up everybody. And everyone's like, I don't know that dude, fuck that dude or whatever behind their back. And like those, that is, that, that's very prevalent. Not only is there a couple, I say there's a fucking lot. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's not, to, you know, like you use the word scenester and I don't, I just had like, like a, temporary spasm in my body because i haven't heard that word since 1999 but i don't think you're wrong either and um you know it's a it's the conversation that i always hit is this idea that like i don't think that everybody who's into hardcore needs to create something no i don't i don't understand the idea not wanting to like and that could be a zine, that could be fucking photographer, like photographers. Uh, that could be <laughs> uh, that could be people putting on shows. You know, whatever the fuck it is. Actually, yo, I'm so you were talking about big up in like hardcore kid artists. There's so many unbelievable artists uh, who do crazy shit, illustrators, all kinds of shit. So I don't necessarily understand the person who doesn't want to use it as a creative outlet because it's just there. But if you aren't and that's cool because, yo, the people who are just going to shows and buying records and all that shit, they matter. They, we fucking, everybody here needs them. But if you aren't, it, it, does, it does create a weird thing where I'm like, so what, you know, what do you do? Is there anything you do that you enjoy? So I would, I would, I would weigh in on that and say that, like, it, it isn't about, like, people not creating. I, don't, I could care less. Like, you need legitimate just fans of things. Like, I don't think everyone – I'm glad that not everyone in this space is creating because then the marketplace is less crowded to some degree. But, like, if you're the type of person that doesn't create anything and you, the only thing you have to offer the world is negative opinions, I don't – I just don't care about what you say. There's no weight behind your words. Like, and it's different, like – like, people want to talk shit on Anthony Fantano all the time, but, like, I think he's someone with measured opinions on music that are intelligent, and he, get, and he big ups, and he big downs things. Um, yeah. Whether or not he might catch a beating from people from, for, like, saying bad things about their records is, is one thing, but that's on him for if he want, decided to be rude about one thing or another. But, like, um, I think that it's not about the, the it just if your only thing that you have to offer is negativity, it just, you don't matter. That's 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 a good way of putting it. I was gonna say I think I'm halfway with you. 
if you're negative but crazy funny, I'm I'm with you. I'm really with you. I was thinking about this today that like, you know, the internet's Twitter in particular is so bad at sarcasm and everybody thinks they're so good at it. And it's like, it's very discouraging that like, look, I'm no comedy genius out here, I, but it's just like, I, I know how to drop a withering fucking line about somebody. If you can't do that effectively, fuck you. Just shut up. Shut up. Yo, I have a question here. If you are one of those people who's putting a lot of that negative energy out, right? You know, or you were in the past or you were at a time and then you do pursue your creative endeavors, does that open you up to larger criticism or more public space or to people dismissing your ass completely? And Patrick, I'm it, looking at your ass because I, you, I think you, you get did dismissed. some time there. Yeah. And definitely self-defense family was dismissed largely because there's like, that's that fucking crazy dude on Twitter or whatever, which maybe I get that now too. But even then I've been trying to dial back. Like I don't ever talk shit on specific things. You'll never see me talk shit on a band. You'll never see me. None of that. Like I talk about like behaviors or like really broad umbrellas of, of, of types, you know, or whatever. So I try to be very specific about what I'm willing to say. And, and even less, I'm, di- I'm, I'm dialing it back even more now. So, uh, yeah, it's always been a problem for me because I, 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 I'm too familiar with people. This is why I'm very forgiving uh, of people being sure. familiar with right. me. Right. I, I'm too familiar with people. I think that if you can't take a criticism, that's got no, that's not on me at all. I don't like, I refuse to be, I refuse to teach you how to be an adult. You know what I'm saying? So, so like criticism is what it is. If I'm being funny, then uh, you get, it's it. What can I do for you? the unfunny person that is sensitive about a thing at nothing. You know what I mean? We're just talking on different wavelengths. There's nothing wrong with it. Just keep it moving. So I, I'm, I'm not mad at anybody being hypercritical of me. The only time I will say it is annoying is when it's somebody that you can tell out the gate just wants to not like a thing. Not like, like, look, if you don't like me or don't like the thing that I do, and you're, you find all the negative parts of, of the things I create and you're like, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't even care about that. That's fine. But like, if you're just like, like weirdly not dismissive, but if you're just like trying to pop off, but you don't know, then it's like, you're not even giving me enough to go back and forth with you on or to, or to feel a way about you. I'd, I'd prefer to feel a way than not feel a way. And if, if you really like, don't even put the effort into like, trying to be a funny shitter of things, then I'm just, you lost me entirely. Tom, I, I wanted to ask you with this because, yes. you know. Spaz. Yes, I like spaz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I wanted to see about that. As far as for you, like, if you see someone out there who's always popping off and has negative bullshit to say, or in your experience, like, when you were doing Indecision or doing MPB, like, if you knew there was somebody who was just, like, an out-and-out hater of your shit, and like was making that front street, was it hard or impossible for you to give their shit a fair chance? Pretty much impossible. I kept a list. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of time in the van, and this is before we had internet, so um, I didn't have time to fuck around with my phone. So I, you know, I keep yeah. a running tally of everyone on the Rev board or the Bridge Nine board that talk shit. <laughs> We've had a few confrontations in my life, and. Sure. Uh, and other people that, I mean, I know the real, I mean, you could look at Patrick is working out during the podcast. 
<laughs> Mr. Gaines. Look at this dude in the fucking face. He deserves all the shit then. He deserves all the smoke because he works out. We're fucking He's also doing fun. like a Richard Simmons style fucking thing here. Like this isn't doing anything for anybody. No, Hanoi Jane over here, really. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like Pat was saying, like if it's if it's based on the merit and you don't like it, that hey, I can't be mad at that. We've all gotten bad reviews. That happens. But if it's definitely um coming from a place that it's like uh I you know what, it's not even related to hardcore at all, but like um I listened to the dude from Gaslight was on some podcast and he was talking about like one record came out, Pitchfork gave like with like fucking blowing them, like got him gave like a huge score for whatever Pitchfork is, like you know a seven point four, whatever the fuck it was. Then the next record come out came out, and for whatever reason, the, the person that was re- reviewing them had this preconceived notion and gave him like a one point two, but it was like so unbelievably personal, like you could tell in the writing that it was like, hey, I really this last record was cool, but this record sucks. It was kind of like. This guy who talks about Maria and, you know, fixing Chevy. Like, it was, like, so, like, dismissive. And and he was, like, that was the first time he, like, really caught feelings because it was, like, oh, this seems like it's way more than just you don't like these 12 songs I came up with. Like, you're taking shots directly at me. And I think that's when there's a problem. Right. Uh, I, the one thing that I always talk about with people is, like, what, when my friends are, like, yeah, you know, like, or, or act like they want to like RJC. I'm, like, you, you don't have to like my band. Like, I... I make extreme music. It's not made for you. I don't like make music for my friends. And, and that's, I very much embrace that, especially with like the sphere of hardcore that I think that we end up with being in like on with releasing on triple B and shit is like, I don't want everyone to like this. I want more, more people than not like in the mainstream of something to dislike it. So if someone says they don't like it. That's part of the appeal of extreme music for me. And so like, as far as part of the creation process, there should also be the embrace of people disliking and embracing negative opinion, I think. Yeah, that doesn't exist in 2020 anymore. <laughs> I don't think. I think people are like, you. no matter what it is, you can't, you can't really say anything negative about it. And I mean, I'm totally with you. It's like, if, if everyone likes you, you're doing something wrong. And yeah. I think, yeah. you know, I mean, I get it. I mean, like a lot. I mean, I, I, I prefer you like me personally than like my stupid bands. And same deal. You know, it's kind of like... I don't expect you to. Some people do, some people don't. But like, I would rather you be like, I like you as a human being and not like, I like track four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, and I always tell my friends, like, like they're like, oh, I've been meaning to listen. I've been meaning. I'm like, don't listen. I don't care. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> it it's, it's really polite of you if, if that's the case. But like you forcing yourself to act like you enjoy my band does nothing for my band's success. No, right, so, right. Like, yeah. That kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's just, it's hard because it's like, it's treading the line of like, you know, uh, you don't need to express a negativity about it necessarily, but you also don't have to put on uh, in a, and you don't have to feign a praise on it if you don't really feel it. You know, like if you don't love it, don't don't fucking fake it. It's all good. Like, I think what you said, Ian, about extreme music is is a good point. Like, yo, hardcore is meant to be kind of all over the place and and there's some of it which is clearly more palatable or easier for everyone to like than than other parts of it but that doesn't mean that you're just allowed to like that or because you like one band that sounds like that you got to like all the bands that sound like that you know what i mean um i think that's something i circle around a lot because i'm like yeah i like i like stuff in a lot of different corners 
but I, you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, like this one band out of that group, uh, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but that's the one that sticks out to me. I think it's better for X, Y, and Z. And, um, it's tough cause it is, it is, it's a balance and it's something we try to deal with to try to keep things like relatively positive energy on when we actually talk about bands and music, but also not to just be like, yeah, band's pretty good. You know, it's it's well, real. You guys topic. are like pundits, so you guys are like a different thing. Where you guys are having to spectate on hardcore as a whole, and you're speaking for something larger. Where like, I, I think my position is more as a private entity as far as hardcore is concerned, and so I can like, I only try to stress things that I really enjoy. Like I've I've talked about the Criminal Instinct record before, and I just don't comment on things that I don't enjoy, and that's just what I keep it at. Right, and I think that's fair. I think that's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's uh, very good life advice. There's Pick up what you like. Don't shit on what you don't like. Easy. Wow. Right. What what are you for? You know, uh, well, or at least be insightful yeah. right. or funny. Like, yeah, like, like like Pat said, like it's at least funny. <laughs> uh, Ian, you'd be surprised that uh, not everybody understands the pundit part of the fucking thing. Or that when they, when they listen to the podcast, they go, oh. These dudes are talking directly to my ear, the guy that is being discussed. It's like, no, 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 no. Listen, yeah. that's, like, that's like that first level of criticism where – that's internet criticism where you literally are writing in the hopes that, that the person that you're criticizing sees it and feels bad because of it. And that's like – I'm not like trying to pretend like I'm on some different level of criticism. I can barely fucking speak. But that's not me. Like, if I'm talking about you, I'm literally talking about your music. We've said it a million times on this podcast. There's motherfuckers that if we talked about them as people, we could fill hours of them being dumb fucking scumbags. It's not the point. The point is like, what's your music about? You know what I mean? But Well, it's also like, do you think that a sports commentator is a fan of every athlete that they speak on? No. If you pulled them aside, you'd be like, yo, Michael Jordan's a dick. Right. <laughs> That documentary is showing him to be kind of a dick. Well, yo, PK, PK made this great point yeah. about Jordan. He said, I appreciate Jordan fans because they appreciate him for strictly what he does, for his, for his, for his art, for his job, for his right, skill. Right. And, I mean, it's an odd thing because he does come off arm's length, but people worshipped the dude because he was so good. And, uh, and I wonder about how that works in a thing like Hardcore – or in a thing like music in general. I think I think in mainstream or larger music, there's been a million examples of that. You know, there's been a million bands who picked up guitars and were fucking great. But as people, you wouldn't want them near you or your family within 20 feet. I mean, I think he was just tough on people. I don't think he was a, necessarily a bad person. But he didn't do anything or he didn't ask anything of anyone else that he wouldn't do himself. No, and, and, and that's and, the whole thing, I think. No, and I mean, there's lots of other things. He he was very strategic about certain parts of his life that were like, like the the Republicans buy don't buy sneakers. One that was some offhand joke, but two, he was like, "Yo, what the fuck do I care?" He also never got involved in politics. You see, dudes like LeBron get involved in politics and get involved in causes, and he's like, he's like, it might have been selfish, but all I was focused on was basketball. I didn't have time to be involved, yeah. in things, you know. And he's like, I didn't have time. I didn't have interest. All I did was this one thing, and and there's something really beautiful about that right. shit. That and destroying anything that Jerry Cross ever liked, Jerry Krause ever ever liked. That dude was just yeah. Um, next on the Bill Simmons podcast. Right. <laughs> PK, what were you gonna say, PK? I, I was gonna say that there's a a thing that we sort of discussed one time when we got asked a question about LeBron's political activism. 
Uh, and, and none of us are against that. But here's the reality is, you know, I don't want most people's political opinions. Why the fuck? Because a dude can is exceptional at sports. Do I think that his opinion like why would I why would I be more inclined to, to absorb those opinions? It, it just doesn't make sense to me personally. Like I understand that sports is always used as, as a political wedge or, or, or lever. I get that. I'm, and I'm with it if that's who you are. But if you are not, if politics are not your interest, and guess what? To those of you that are absolute zealots out there, there are plenty of people who are just by nature apolitical human beings. They're concerned with their day to day. If that is you, forcing yourself to give a fuck about things is about the least cool thing I could think of. You know what I mean? So, uh, also, quick story regarding uh, people liking you or not like. I got a great message the other day when I on Instagram somebody asked me like, "Hey, do, does it matter to you if your if like your girlfriend listens to your band or blah blah blah?" And I said, "No, no, no, I don't. That never would matter to me. I don't care about that." And a girl dropped into my DMs to say, "Thank God, I've been sitting on this for years. I think your bands are trash. I just think you're hot." <laughs> Fantastic, right? I, said, uh, <laughs> I was gonna comment on just the difference between uh, Jordan and, and LeBron as far as. There's such a difference in time frame as far as like athletes being involved in politics, I think, because now like if you were an athlete before, you have to pick up a physical paper to read about politics. Like now, like everyone has all the information at their fucking fingertips. And if you're an athlete traveling, you could just be on social media looking at. The oh, I mean, and that's like, what they are. Right. Yeah. And like like whereas Jordan, like he, it wouldn't have happened. He's not going to. He literally was like, oh, I'm thinking about basketball. Yeah. He's not thinking about his phone or whatever, you know? No, and I mean, uh, the thing about that whole thing is people look to these people and go, like, what are the... It's almost only because they have a large platform or, or spacing that people want that opinion from them. And that's like, what the fuck? Unless, and I think it's also, you know, it kind of evens the playing field, no pun intended, because you're kind of like, hey, you know what? That guy's the best athlete in the world, and me and him share the same views. Like, yes. I think that's a big part of it. Well, people want to buy into that, and, and then people who don't might use it as a way to tear the dude down. And people who don't like LeBron as a basketball player sometimes get talk, but he's such a good person. It's like, well, if you don't like the dude as a basketball player, then you cannot like the dude as a basketball player. It doesn't matter if he's a good human. He, is, he clearly is. Like, who gives right, a shit, right. you know? Came up with Taco also, Tuesday. sports are pretty objective. Like, what the fuck? Are, yeah. what, how, how are these types of conversations real? You know, you would be so surprised how subjective people treat stuff like sports. And, I mean, you know, that's where sports talk radio is a thing is because there's objective stuff. However, there's enough gray area that people always find the angle. It's it's much like, yo, you know, to me, it's a question I wanted to talk about is musicality and hardcore and people who are very good and how important that can be, even though, yo, some of the best hardcore bands, it's like, oh, yeah, that dude picked up the bass and we showed him how to play these songs and that's it. He can't play anything else on that bass. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's going to be, like, I think that's the, uh, that's one of the, the, the things that's a parallel to me. It's like, well, there's, there's objectively talented and competent players involved in hardcore in a lot of ways. How does that impact, like, do you think that's a direct corollary to good hardcore or good punk music, or is it completely unrelated? I think it's unrelated, personally. I think that, um, like, I, I went to an arena show once, and I was like, I could play this song on every instrument on that stage. But it doesn't, it, it's not like... Um, 
It has nothing like I don't have the it factor, the whatever. Like I don't like talent isn't the thing. It's it's like about what's in your brain more than like what you're capable of doing. I think because especially in hardcore, I mean, it's I, to speak on Criminal Instinct again. I'm pretty sure that Josiah does not own a guitar. I'm pretty sure he doesn't play guitar, but I would say he writes all of those songs as far as what everyone tells me. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's crazy. That, that's that has nothing to do with his actual musical ability. It has to do with like his brain. And I, and I think that to some, to to some degree, like I'm not talented at guitar. I'm, I'm only okay at drums, but I, I'm a utility player. Like I couldn't get any of this stuff done if it weren't for the fact that I like, I had to learn to do it. Otherwise I wouldn't have these things. I got stuck in playing in other people's bands. So then I was like finally fed up with it. And I was like, all right, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to do my own thing now. And I don't, if that means shitty guitar playing, I'm going to do it. We, we don't, often go down the like back path road of this kind of shit but like how did you personally because you, you know what you said how did you personally get involved like start playing music and all that like what, uh, what drew you to it i was just, i was just obsessed with, with music from like as early on as i could be like when i was a little kid i liked garth brooks and then when i was uh like like third grade or whatever i got blink 182 yeah and then uh I can hear both those in your regional justice centers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's a big Garth influence, you know? Uh, And then, yeah, I just got slowly like into more and more guitar music. And then I got a bass and that was it. I started playing music and trying to play in bands. So that's really it. Not, it's the same shit as everyone else. You get a CD booklet of punk and then you go from there. You go from there. What do you guys think? Musicality and hardcore. Is it a good thing? Cause I, I mean, I, I obviously think there's some where it's like a huge benefit as as time has gone by to see people and see bands where it's more of a factor. But I also sometimes think, man, I get it. These people can play their instruments, but the songs ain't there. You know, and I think that's a big thing. I think um, some of the best songwriters in hardcore are not fucking virtuosos in any way. You know what I mean? Like my brother-in-law plays guitar and he loves fucking Joe Satriani. If I brought him a fucking, if I brought him in Victim in Pain, he'd be like, "What? Yeah, right. What the fuck is? You know what I'm saying? Like most of the best songwriters I know are not fucking amazing musicians. But then you see bands that like, you know, I'm not gonna shit on any bands, but like bands that are like, oh, you guys are obviously insanely good at what you do. What you do is not like periphery or one of these bands that are like, oh, you can play like fucking sweeping arpeggios and you're fucking insane. But like I couldn't name a song or I couldn't. Well, I th- there's no melody to repeat or nothing. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think te- that's where technicality technicality is such a downfall of musicianship where people think that playing the most interesting thing in quotes is the is the key when like that's not how your brain works. Your brain doesn't carry a melody be- or remember a melody because it's interesting. Like it remembers it because um, because it's catchy and which is which is in, in it's intangible to some degree. Like Rivers Cuomo can try to fucking boil it down and figure out exactly what makes a hit song but it's you still can't exactly do it because it won't always land um i think as far as if we're talking musicality and hardcore the two things you need to actually be good good drummer yep and you need a good vocalist yeah drummer is number one to me drummer is the key to hardcore yeah because if you have you could be an amazing front person have amazing guitar players and bass players. If your drummer's kind of hack, it goes a long way. 
and and like I think there's a lot of levels in that because I mean, yo, you should say this. Ian, you could probably say this better than me. I would say you could probably go to your local guitar center and if you hang out there for a day, you might find a drummer who is on all technical scales a better drummer than 99 out of 100 drummers who've played in hardcore bands right now. But there's a style to what you do and there's a few there's any number of different styles to what you can do in a hardcore band. And depending on what you do, it's just are you good at it? Can you pull that off? And do you put the work in to get there? I think that's drumming is fascinating to me because it's actually like, like any of this stuff, but there's a repetition to it and like a buildup of skill. And you can actually, if you listen to drummers work through the years, there's some who drop in. It's like, Oh shit, that dude's amazing. But then there's others where you can listen and go, Oh, whoa, they're getting better as they go on. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that um, I guess to uh, specifically with drummers too, because drummers can be the least tasteful fucking people on earth. Like the the personality type of a drummer, drummer is the worst thing possible in my opinion. Like like someone that like has literally nothing to know about riffs, and they think that drums for some reason are gonna sell a song. That's not the case. Your underlying, even though it's probably the most important piece in hardcore, you're just they're just the background still. Yeah. Um, but the one thing you can't account for, like, taste is so much more important than musicality, in my opinion. I keep looking at PK. So I watched um, a movie called Unfriended the Dark Web last night. <laughs> uh, and the main theme is that the entire movie is done over Skype. Mm. It. It, you know what? It's terrible, but it's a lot of fun. Um, but you keep looking to the side. And it looks like you're going to be first. Like, you're the first person to die. Oh, shit. He also that looks funny. like a ghost, honestly. He looks terrible. <laughs> but you keep looking over like you're hearing things, and, like, the dark web is coming for you. <laughs> it's in the house. Tell- it's in the house. I thought you were going to tell me I'm the ghost because I got, I'm backlit, and I thought I was all mysterious, but I'm, I'm going to die first. You look well, very- now your eyes are all sunken and shit. Like, it's... You look like, Don- you look like John Tardy. What is going on here? So, but- well- what makes a good vocalist in hardcore guys? Oh, come on. Patch, come go. On. Go. What makes a good hardcore vocalist? Uh, what are the, let's, let's, I like the way Ian outlined it, kind of saying, like, I think you need good drummer, good vocalist to have a good hardcore band. What are the important components of being a good hardcore vocalist? Are we talking on record or in general? I think both. Because, I mean, I think big on picture, record. Big picture. Yeah, yeah. I think everything. I mean, I think personality. I think energy live and being able to put it on with a voice, you know, like you need to be able to do have your own unique voice or just have an energy that can t- carry a standard voice, you know, like, cause I've rhythm. seen, Oh yeah. There's too many hardcore bands that, or there used to be at least that like, you're not singing along with what the band is playing. And I yeah, think that's, yeah, that's like big. the first line. That's the first line of a, a I, I, those, I, I, it's been a long time since I saw a lot of bands like that, but when you said that, it was triggering in the same way as Seamsters. Yeah, it's very triggering. Like, right, remember those out. bands, like, you're trying to get four sentences in, and the, you know, so, so, it's like, no, that's not, if you're not, you know. Or I think of, like, the bad talk core, like, really bad attempts at youth crew type stuff, where it's like, exactly. you said to me, we got the friends, and yeah. this is gonna yeah. be There's the no the words that I'm saying to you. Yeah. It's like, well, that was actually rhythm because I just can't get away from it. The rhythm. Yeah, yeah, we can't do it as 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 musicians. Answer, guys. 
So, PK, what, what about you? What, what actually can, matters for these vocalists? He's going to describe himself. I know. I can, well, no, I was going to say, I can. if you guys need assistance, I can definitely... You guys might not be able to sing without rhythm, but I know I can. <laughs> Neck tattoos, three layers over. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Right, like the side of an old barn. So, uh, so uh, you you want the positive or the negative version? What do you want? Give us the it positive was, version. We want, what, what, what makes, what a, makes good a good one? Good yeah. Well, I, I'm going to give you a very positive take on this, and it's a it's a wantingness to actually do it because I've I was a bad vocalist for many many years, but I just continue doing it until passable or interesting at it. And so, like to, like something that is frustrating for me is when I hear a vocalist who is. Uh, and then they never do anything past that demo. It's, it's like, well, listen, I, I, I was bad as fuck. You know what I mean? But it's you, you just put your time in and it's like anything else in life. Like, yo, I was a bad comic book writer when I started. I'm good now. You just do, you put your 10,000 hours in. You know what I mean? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have personality or be interesting. But, like, yeah, at least you'll be capable. And that's a, that's a good step forward. Uh, but hopefully if you're a creative person, and I understand not everybody in hardcore is, but if, if you're a creative person – then eventually you find your voice uh, uh, me- metaphorically in the se- while you find your voice literally. And that's my positive take on it is like, yo, if you suck today, you don't got to suck in three years. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you can be great in three years. So th- that's my positive spin is that it's time plus willingness. That's what makes a good vocalist. All right. All right. That's a good way to put it. Tom, and I think I my take on it, and this is my negative take, and – PK can chime in with his negative take. Especially in hardcore, there's way too many people that it's like just because you can sing in a band doesn't mean you should. Oh. Just because you have the ability the availability or the access to sing in a band doesn't mean you actually should be singing in a band. And I think that's only in punk and hardcore. Yeah, yeah yes, because your friend is 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 around doesn't mean he should sing on the demo. Right, exactly. And I think that happens more often than we'd like to admit. Well, I mean, expand on that a little bit because Pat just said a bad vocalist can become a good vocalist over time. You know what I mean? I, I don't have the same uh, the same take on that. I personally think if there's there, if there's a general if I could hear where someone starts and hear if they'll ever get good. I think for the most part. So I mean, there's you, some people that just miss the plot completely. Sure. They don't understand for music. Sure. No, and I mean like because the other side is there's dudes who come out like. I wonder how many hours Justice spent singing before he did that Trapped Under Ice demo because he kind of did pretty good on that boy, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. so Some people but, just have it too, though. Right. Well, that's that's the thing. I think some people just have it and it's just like, oh, there's an innate ease to it or or just they have a cool voice or it's unique or they got enough personality that right out of the gate it's it's just carrying. Tom, when you say that someone who's who doesn't have it like so, just because they can, they shouldn't, that's what I'm asking about. Like... What what is the thing about that? If they just don't have the rhythm, if they don't have a good voice, what are you saying? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all of the above. Like, it's just I think there's the access to it. I knew way too many dudes that have joined bands that it's like, yeah, uh, okay, like you can try. This is cool. Like, I'm not stopping you, but like, this will never be good, just yeah. because like you don't have, you know, lyrical prowess or don't know how to place words over music that make it memorable you know what i'm saying like it's sure, easy, like sure, sure, sure. and like as as dumb as as neanderthal as people like to make hardcore seem to be good at it is actually tougher than it looks well okay it, it, so 
is, is asking if Justice uh, had done a lot of singing before dropping on uh, th that demo uh, is a good question because over this break, I finally have been someplace with Showtime and I uh, watched that AF documentary. And I, I was going to say, was Justice on Showtime? I'm like, where are we going? <laughs> watch Red Shoe Diaries featuring Justice. Uh, no, you don't I, think people would watch that right now if that existed, okay. by the way? All of Europe. So <laughs> uh, I, I, I watched uh, that AF documentary and, and really enjoyed the shit out of it. But, you know, uh, you know uh, they just grabbed Roger because he was a good stage diver. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like that's also like 1980 when there was nothing before. Like, there's no reason for you to suck in 2020. People have been putting in work for like 40 years. You're at a higher. You're starting at like third base. Well, we got Alex from New Gods. We got him because he was a crazy stage diver. Right. Unrelated to AF. That was just. I was like, you guys have never met this guy. He's gonna sing for our band because he's he's guys wild. Let's let's right. have him. But. So, Tom, I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth, validating your concerns and, and also saying what I think it actually is. So, uh, yeah, there are people that just are not naturally gifted at all. But I also think that vocals are saved for last in a, re in a recording. I mean, obviously saved for last. Yeah, yeah. That's how recording is done. But also it's, an, it's almost an afterthought when it, it really should be. It is the thing that people are going to latch on to immediately or, or use to disregard your band immediately. And when I hear something that sucks, like a recording where the vocals fucking suck, and don't get me wrong, I put out a hundred of them. But like <laughs> when I hear when I hear like a new band that's trying to make an impression, and I, I just know that they did not they didn't want to fork over the additional 150 to fucking put more time in to getting this kid to be able to sing on this on the record. It's just very disappointing because it's like, yo, you, you're handicapping yourself. You, you're cutting your legs off at the at the knee. And I, uh, so I think that yeah, there's a lot of people who are incapable, but I also think that there's a lot of people who are not taking the time to make themselves uh, as efficient or effective as they can be. I would say my number one thing that I would say to like every band recording their first demo is track the vocals twice because there's yeah. always one song that's better than the rest. And you're like, damn, that one's got the spirit right there. But every band wants their demo to be out next week. Yeah. And so they're like, fuck, would they just get it done, get it done, or you don't want to pay more money or whatever. But generally, like, like your vocalist, the more they do it, especially if it's their first time, is going to be better the more they do it. So just go ahead and track the whole demo twice. Like, just instantly embrace the fact that you should do it twice. That's actually a good way of looking at it, because then you can sort of take it home, be like, all right, that sounds weird. I don't like the way that came across. It sounded cool in the practice space, but like once I hear it with everything clear, my phrase on that sucked, or like my voice cracked here, or blah blah blah. But I mean, I think a lot of times, like PK was saying, it's like a financial thing. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I think that people aren't even practicing at the practice space with their vocals. I think they're writing demos, going in, recording, and then trying to haphazardly throw vocals on at at the yeah. end. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hmm. And, it, and also in 2020, I understand the idea of financial backups. How many bands are actually going in and paying for studios to record demos now? I think most people are jumping in a, a fucking garage or somewhere where somebody's got, you know, a friend's got Pro Tools or he's got GarageBand on his, his fucking computer to do a demo. You know what I mean? And well, I could be wrong about that. But for a demo, I think that's what I'm hearing a lot. Well, I think what people should be doing, too. So I, I've been really advocating for what you can do with your iPhone just using GarageBand. You can get amazing drum sounds. I, I did. A, I've done... I literally just sent something to someone to be mixed today that I recorded completely on my iPhone. And it sounds as if it was a four-track player from, you know, like a 90s raw punk record or something. And, uh, like, that, like, people should be doing more pre-production. Record your whole record before you record your record. Do as much pre-work as you can because the thing that you're creating is so final and it'll exist forever on the Internet. Like, make sure you're proud of that. Yeah, and that's that's the opportunity. So we're saying, yo, you have the ability now to like record much easier in a lot of ways, and like you're not having to fork out a few hundred bucks or five hundred or whatever to go to a studio. If you choose to, fuck yeah. But before, if you're gonna do that, even if you're not gonna do that, spend the time in advance and work out the kinks because you have the opportunity to do that. And that's not something that people had. I don't know, even even 15 years ago, you know. Um, I'm helping some dudes who are recording an LP right now and they demoed the whole LP and a friend was like, holy shit, we never did this when we were doing records. And they're like, this is so fucking cool because you demo the whole LP and you get a chance to go through and pick out and be like, we don't like the way this came out. We, we like this a lot. What do you think about this part? And, and you know, like they're at the 50, 65% of the way their point getting a chance to sit back, review, listen to the whole thing, and then go with a final product and go record at the studio. You know, it's, it's fucking cool. Well, we just um, had Taylor Young produce our LP, and, and so what my deal was, I was going and demoing things and then sending them to him and just getting his immediate reactions. He says, oh, let that part breathe. Oh, oh, um, like, there needs to be a part in between. Or something, you know, so he's not telling me, like, like I'm going to rewrite the songs for you. He's just going, like, my initial reaction is this, and which is so much of what hardcore is, is just people's instant reaction because it's reactionary music. So it's like if someone's first reaction isn't strong, then the song's not strong. Like it can be better. So it's like 
like, and you do that by sharing it with people who aren't in your band that aren't invested in the songwriting. And you could do so much more than like showing up on the day, like with your haphazard lyrics or whatever, without ever working on it. So with that said, said, um, I wanted to pivot a little bit here uh, because that idea of like releasing stuff, you know, you put it up, it's on the internet forever. Spend more time with that. And we had talked, you know, we were talking before the show about the idea of when bands put out records and they release vinyl, but they're not going to tour and they're just nobody, but they're putting records out. Is that something you feel strongly about? I feel very, I mean, so I, I run a, a record label with um, my buddy Waylon, who sings for the band uh, Lore Species, and we've been duped by so many fucking bands. I mean, it's, it's like, if you are in a band and you're asking someone to put out your record and you're unwilling to tour, you're literally saying like, hey, could I just like take $1,500 from your pocket just for no reason? And like, and there's also just going to be a bunch of trash that you're going to be stuck with. It's like throwing a 50... I'm throwing a $1,500 party at my own house for you, and you're just going to leave trash all over the place. Yes, yeah. That's gonna, like, that, that unless I want to literally take that money and throw it in the garbage, is now going to be stored in my closet or attic or basement until it disappears, until I eventually throw it in the garbage. Yeah, until either my house burns down or I physically take these to a dumpster. Like, that's that's the only option. So, yeah, I, I, I think that more bands need to be real with themselves and just say, like, yeah, this doesn't need a physical release. I mean, I think that's true now. I think that's actually always been true. But Definitely. Tom and Pat, like Tom, quietly, Indecision put out a bunch of records, but you guys were touring, you were probably touring more than you had records out, like through the early part of your career. Would that is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we probably put out six or eight, seven inches, two LPs. Right. A split ten inch, like we put out a bunch of stuff, but but, I mean, but you we, were, we were road dogs essentially. You were tour- there's a certain point where you start going like, okay, we're out of New York City, and now we're just out of New York City a lot. Right. I mean, I think I mean I wholeheartedly agree with Ian, but I think it's different because like if you didn't put out physical in 1995, you didn't have anything out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there was no file sharing and stuff. But there's I think people think that it's almost like kind of like. um it makes your band real or like it's a stamp of where, you know, this is where, you know, it's a stamp of approval to be able to have, you know, a 12 inch or whatever it is. But I mean, I think if you want to, you know what, I think like if that's the case, if you want to invest your own money in it, then it's your problem. But like when you make it someone else's problem is when it's really kind of fucked up and like things happen and like life situations, circumstances change. And you might go into it being like, we're going to put this 12 inch out. You know, with alternatives, and then we're gonna get out there. But then it's like, well, so and so is having a baby, or someone, you know, whatever. Like that happens. But like trying to put a record out with no, with no real um, dreams of like hitting the other coast. Yeah, no, it's kind of like even just supporting it, like trying to do something to to justify someone having invested a lot of money. Yo, it it costs a lot of money to put records out. Um, I put out a bunch, and for the bands who actually went and supported, I would say it was like a, a 65 to 80% success. Like bands who actually went out and toured, they just sold records, you know, like just because, just purely because they were active. Like that meant stuff moved. 
whether they were really good or like the best records I put out were bands who were pretty inactive, but the record was really good. And if they did a little more, I would have sold out of everything, you know? Um, but right. I, if you play I, shows and you sell 10 records at a show, yep. you, you do that, you know, 20 times. <laughs> you're, yeah, you know, it starts, you're, it starts you're to make a big through a press. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's something that people don't think about. The, the key thing you said, Ian, that I thought should be echoed is be realistic with yourself. Set, set, like, if you're in a band, be real about it to yourself first. And then express that to the people you're working with or trying to get to you to work with. Because it's a story, I mean, Patrick, I'm sure you've heard this too. From bigger labels, small labels, people just putting out stuff. All across the spectrum, it'll be selling at the highest possible value. And I get that. But if you really know, like, yo, I'm not going to tour on this thing. You're putting people in a bad space. Well, I, I think that um, it, it's like... For me, I, I just released that military gun demo, and I there's no physical. You can't buy it besides the digital currently, and then that was me putting my money where my mouth is as far as that goes of being like, I don't know what this band is. And then now that I've seen the response and I've been approached by a label, I was like, okay, cool. I'll do this, and I'll actually invest the time now. And I told them, like, I'm only doing this if if I'm touring. Like I'm, And I'm gonna, now I'm going to have to tour to sell that record, and that's what I'm going to do until – at the very least, that label has sold out of their records, or I'm going to buy them back myself. It's just so irresponsible. I don't know. <laughs> so you're being very honest about a thing that I I don't see many labels being honest about. Like uh, Sam Triple B, I think we pressed him on this exact topic. I've pressed Trey at Deathwish on this topic. And they always go with some altruistic bullshit about like, uh, you know, man, it happens. It's just part of the game, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nah, I'm salty. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, fuck I can you. Because <laughs> I'm broke as fuck. And, and uh, I, I, you know, if you go into it, if you pay for somebody's record and they were square with you and they say, hey, man, we're only doing regional shit. We're only like the most we'll ever do is six days every three months. You know what I mean? Something like that. You know, that's, I know the terms. I, I understand. I'm not being lied to. But, there, there's people that'll come at you with some real fucking stories, and it's uh, it is discouraging because it's like, yo, I would have helped you in any other way I could have. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's other ways to to get your music out. It doesn't. Here's what I would tell people: this physical artifact is worthless. <laughs> it's fucking trash. It's just something that's going to end up in a landfill unless you imbue it with meaning by it mattering to you and you putting effort into it and selling the fucking thing by touring. And it doesn't have to be touring. There are bands that we know that don't need to and God bless them. But what I'm saying is that like, if you have no fucking clout, you're not like all friended up and there's no buzz around you, then it's like, yo, you're going to have to fucking sell it. And this thing existing in and of itself is not a prize. This is not the Holy grail. You know what I mean? It, and I, I know that it is a big deal for somebody who has no record. All they want is physical. I really get that. But you got to get past that because it's just – you could just go get – you could just pay money and they'll press them. It's not an achievement. You know what I mean? So serve, go do something. Yo, so, so that's the smartest labels I know when they start working with bands. And this is like bigger labels. But really can apply down the line. They – really get clear specification of what 
a band is going to be doing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to work with the band. It just changes the way they work with the band. I think the smartest labels out there have bands who tour two weeks a year and bands who work 10 months a year, you know, who are out there doing stuff. And like that trickles down to a small hobby label type thing too. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. Oh, you're only going to do this. All right. You know, like we had a, a question on an episode a couple weeks ago where the dude's like, ah, you know, what do you think about cassette releases? Should I do them for stuff I'm doing vinyl for, or should they be only for certain things? You know, there might be an opportunity where it's like, Oh, this is really cool. I love this. I think this is fucking awesome. And I like you dudes. Oh, you're you're only gonna do some like local stuff, and Jimmy's having a kid, so you're really not sure. All right, let's do cassettes, because my my output on that is a couple hundred, not a couple thousand, and so I or, get all that. Or digital only, you know what I mean? Or which I think everybody should be doing is, hey, is anybody in your band talented writer? Anybody an artist? Let's put together a zine and package it with with uh, with a flexi, and it's like, yo, your your costs there are a fifth of what they would be putting out a 12 inch uh, EP and, seven, uh, yeah. and, and a, a quarter of what they would be uh, uh, putting out a seven inch. And it's like, yo, know, and, and it's still a meaningful physical artifact. Right. You know what and, I mean? So like there's, there's, there's things to do. And, and there's people, you know, and I get it. I get that impulse to want, you know, the first time I put out a record, I was like, holy shit. It felt different than when I went and made zines, you know. Uh, but I'll tell you this, 20 years later, it doesn't feel that different. Um, when I look back and I'm like, oh, this is the first zine I did. Oh, here's the first record I put out. And, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that feels like, oh, cool, neat, neat that this is, exists. But um, you really, you, you give it purpose. You, you make it. You make it sing by uh, by supporting it, and that's the other side. I, I think Tom said it. You know, if you really want it, and you don't have the offers, you can pay for it yourself. No one's stopping you. And and Pat put the put the underline on that. It is a service. You can go to the pressing plant. You can get quotes on putting out a record in minutes, and say, oh, I want to do a hundred of these. Cool. Here you go. Here's how much it costs. Easy. Oh, you want to do five hundred? Cool. You want to press ten thousand? Fucking go for it. Here's how much it's going to be. And then, it, then the financial burden's on you. But that's one of the things that looking at hardcore as this small world kind of thing, that relationship often gets misused and, and kind of abused in a way that's like, yo, in almost no other place. Like, imagine a promoter said, hey, band, uh, we're gonna, you're going to come play and we're going to give you $1,500. And the band's like, cool, yeah, all right, we're going to come play. The band comes, plays, and doesn't get paid $1,500. Ain't nobody think that's okay, right? Like, no one's yeah. like, yeah, that's all right. But you see the the inverse, and, um, and you know, there's a part to me that, you know, yo, a record label's putting it out because there's certain, like, like okay, cool, we'll put this out. We believe in this. We think this is going to be good. I can't think of many hardcore labels that are like, yo, this record's going to do so well. We're gonna we're gonna quadruple our money by putting it out. A lot of times, it's an act of love, and if you can break even, fuck yeah. Um, so it's more of an investment than a gamble. You know. Do what you I mean? think bands like, given that like labels have certain expectations, whatever? Do you think bands like straight up lie to the labels about what their future yeah. um, plans are to kind of like? I think so. To get can the band to get the label to sign up, and then they're like, "Psych, we're not touring." You guys go. Both have 
Yeah, so I, I, I think that happens all the time. But I think more so than anything, we currently have a brand-centric version of hardcore to where people think that because a label is backing you, that then makes your band legitimate and that people like you all of a sudden. But if you didn't have fans before you were on a label, you're not going to have fans when you're on a label. No. That's just like maybe the number of people that will check you out just because you're on Triple B is 10. You know, like like that, 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 that's nothing. Where like the only way to go and, and gain fans and traction is to literally go on tour and make like force your presence upon people around you essentially. And right. then eventually like, I've, I've said it probably on other podcasts before, but like people read the name regional justice center like a thousand times. And by the time triple B posted the words, regional just justice center people. Finally, some people thought, okay, I'll check it out. You know, like, <laughs> sure, sure. like, but, but we had to gain all the people organically. And then we had to make sure that we, people were just consent, just getting beat up with it constantly. Otherwise, nobody would have listened. Sure. No, I mean, Tom, they both said yes very, gave very, very quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, to ask it very, like, does that happen? Yep, it does. Does it, is it a conscious lie? Yeah, sometimes it is. But I think also sometimes it goes back to what Ian said, where I don't think people are always being honest with themselves or realistic with themselves, you know? Like, are you willing to commit? Like, yo, I mean, <clears throat> Ian, for example, if you got a job, if you're like, yo, fuck this, I need to feel financially stable. I want to do the stuff I'm working on with with video work and this and that, but I need to get a steady nine to five. I'm going to work in a cubicle and I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to be okay because I'm going to do this. How much time could you dedicate to doing your band? realistically you know that changes considerably right well my for me i mean it it depends on how obsessive someone is you know yeah and well that's, so well, that's for what me, i mean it's like it would are. be every weekend at that point you know right. like you you'd see me going like all right this weekend we're flying to seattle next week we're flying in here you know like i that because that's who i am that's like that's the obsessive personality that i have where i'm going to do the thing regardless of limitation you know like okay. i've i worked all the jobs that i had before I did what I do now in scale to being like when all right, I'm doing this so I can leave on tour. Yeah. And so, um, but I, it's just, uh, I think something that I've realized actually very recently with label side stuff is that I've tried to like foster bands and like book tours for them and do things for them that they can't do for themselves. And, um, I've also just realized, and I'm not putting anyone on blast here, but some people just don't have the brain to plan. Like, like, like when yeah, people say yeah. they're going to go on tour to them, they think a month and a half out, they're going to go, Oh yeah. In a month and a half, I have a, a week that I, or, you know, five days I could do something, which is not the length of time it takes to book a tour. No. <laughs> it, you got to be working three, four months minimum out in ideally it's still at six months out. Sure. Um, if you're trying to get in any sort of worthy space. And so that's what I've learned is just that people don't understand the process of even planning the thing. So maybe they do mean it when they say I'm going to go on tour, but they might not have the logistical brain to ever make it happen. I think that that's a big thing. I, I would consider that a really strong point is they don't, they don't have the idea of what it is they're saying they're doing and what goes into it. Like 
and what their role in that should be, ideally. And that kind of, Ian, I wanted to circle to you on this because we hear it to the podcast. We've heard it ask two labels. Um, one, are record labels important in hardcore in 2020? Two, what does a record label, what does a good record label do for a band? So record labels are very important in that I think that everyone is putting importance upon them as brands still. Like the Triple B thing is so real. There's so many bands that start now that their whole goal is to be on Triple B. And I, I use that because that's the one I've heard so many times is sure. that they're they're like going to lie, cheat and steal their way to get that the three B's on their record, you know. Um, but and I think that for me, what I look for in a label is, is someone that's going to promote and try to find opportunity, which like I need someone more like because I'll I'm promoting and finding opportunity at every chance for myself. And I need people that can go places that I can't to help me. And so um, I need people better connected, whatever, better ideas than myself. even. Sure. Uh, sure. I, I just look for business partners and, and creative collaborators and. I don't, I don't like view, if I'm working with a label, I'm not going to be like, oh, they're idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. Like I, if I'm there with them, it's because I believe in what they do and it's because I've seen what they've done in the past. So I think, yes, 100% super fucking important. People put so much importance on brands. And I think that's throughout everything. And we see it like in film with people jerk off to A24 constantly. Right, like, right. Not realizing it's the same promotional mechanisms as anything else. They're like, they just know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I, people are very brand centric across the board in all fields of art currently and think that they need a cosign. And I think it's really difficult for independence to be a real thing at this current time. PK to you, are hardcore labels important or record labels important in hardcore in 2020? And what do you look for in your partnerships? I like the way you looked at that, Ian, because that to me, in my experience, when I've worked with bands, whether it was on my own little label, whether it was working at Rev or help with other stuff, when, when I, when I, I would always encourage them like, look, this is a partnership. And that's like, that's the, that's the end. That's the platonic goal to me. So PK, what do you think? Well, I see a very clear delineation between EP and LP uh, labels and material. <clears throat> and like, I think what Ian and Justice are doing with their record is literally what hardcore should be doing and fails to do all the time. Uh, there's no reason that you can't get together. If both your bands got a little bit of clout, there's no reason that your bands can't get together, fucking bang something out that's worthy and fucking both benefit from it. Show that there's some sort of like intellectual solidarity between people and, and creativity. That sort of shit is interesting to me. Uh, and, but it's EP stuff, meaning that you can get together, like even if you take a month to write it, that's very different than an LP. An LP is a time suck and financial investment of uh, not of the highest order. Obviously there's people out here buying fucking uh, condo buildings with fucking 87 units in it. But what I'm saying is it, there's a, it's a bigger deal. So I loved working with Triple B because it was him on Twitter. Hey, you want to do this? Me on Twitter. Yeah, I'll send you the files. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, and that's great. I love that. But if it was an LP, well, this doesn't apply for everybody, but for this juncture in my life and what I've done, I would, I need the LP promoted. And that's not to say Triple B couldn't do that or anybody couldn't do that. I'm just saying that it's a different relationship 
to say, uh, hey, you want to do this? Yeah, I do. Let's do it. Cool. Versus, hey, is there a plan for this? Yeah. And if I'm going to jump in, if I'm going to jump into a label relationship at this point in my life, uh, I EPs we can do any wild shit in the world, but LP, and not to put too much importance on these literally made up ideas. You know what I mean? But I have to treat them with some deference because of how the market treats them, how human, how. Uh, uh, critics treat them, how fans treat them, et cetera. So I have to at least acknowledge that there is a difference. So with that in mind, my thing with dealing with a label, and I want to deal with labels on EPs that are just fun labels, like unheard of labels, fucking total fucking garage or basement labels, uh, legacy labels that I want uh, to be involved with because I respect them, but they're not fit. But for an LP, I want somebody with a fucking plan. You know, so, so that's, I, I'm feeling Ian on like business partnership where it's like, hey, do you have a plan? Because Ian will be the first person to, Bob, you put out my records. Ian has played on several records with me. You both know I never have a plan. And it's a detriment <laughs> to me. So I need somebody beside me that has a plan. So that, that that's what I'm looking for. Uh, and I do think that labels are still important, but also, here's here's the asterisk on that. They're only important if they're important, meaning there's plenty of bands that can jump into this thing without any affiliation whatsoever and do great. If you're one of those bands, more power to you. Nobody's trying to no, – like, I, I don't see any point in seeing this in absolutes. There's plenty of bands that do great without a label. There's, and, and yeah, there's, there's plenty no, of, no absolutes. There's plenty of labels that succeed in spite of themselves and, and who don't do the shit that, that we're talking about and hoping for. But it's it's kind of like what what would you in good faith hope if you're a band who's going in and like hey we're gonna put in the legwork we're gonna do our side, and and that would be kind of a, a next question here is what is what is the band responsibility if the labels come and correct what is your responsibility and I have my own answer on that but what were you gonna say Ian? Well, I was gonna say like I I think as a whole people should be less concerned about what's cool right now and, and be trying to create the next cool thing and it's something that Pat and I talk about a lot. But, I mean, like, instead of people wanting to be on, which, like, it used to be Bridge Nine, like, at some point, everyone was, the, the, the smart people were going, well, you know, I want to be on Triple B. Because I think what, what Sam's creating is, is new. And I don't want to be in something that seems like, like belonging to something else. <coughs> and so I think that people should be more concerned with that. And, like, with military gun stuff, like, I got asked by a label that I look that I not that I look up to, but that's on the up that I want to create with because I think that they're really hungry and creating something new. And so, like, instead of like, oh no, wait, I want the hype already hype thing to work on this. Yeah, I'm more concerned about creating something with somebody that I view as on the rise. No, I, I think that's I think that's important. I think you should look at what someone's doing, what their track record is. And really get to know them, you know, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't move in with someone without, no, I mean, you would, some people, I, I have, but, <laughs> but you know, you want to, you want to know who you're working with and what they're about and like what, the, what their plan is. And to me, when I think about that, the, the bands who I worked with and had the best success with were the ones who were one willing to do the work, which is primarily like, honestly, most of it's just making sure they're active and touring, doing what they can, when they can. And two um being uh how's the best way to put this both 
proactive and active collaborators. And by saying proactive, I mean that they're willing to express what it is they want out of things. Yeah. And, and, and making sure that we're all on the same page at all times. Because when I talk to bands now, then, forever, it's always like, with my label, I used to tell bands, like, yo, with Collapse, it was just like, this is like a project to me. You can design my label, I, logo, I don't care. The logo doesn't, I put out records that were not on a label. And I, I called it, I th- what did I say, uh, no label, <laughs> you know? Because I was like, I don't really care. Like, I wasn't trying to build a brand at that time with that. But it yeah. was treated so differently than what I did with Rev. Where I was like, yo, I am trying to build and reinforce something that's happening. So at that point, I've always said, look, I want this. This is your record. I want it to look like how you want it. And that's even been in times where it's like, hmm, this is what you want for the art? Yeah, sometimes that, that theory does not and, hold up. <laughs> no, and it's hard. It's, but it's like, I want it. And you, you hope you have the relationship with them to say, yo, and, and it's, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes you get sent something and go, oh, that's cool. Cool. Sometimes you get sent something and go, yo, this is what you really want? All right. I, I don't totally love it, but tell me what you're thinking. And you come to a place where you, you can appreciate what they want. And if you feel real strong about it, you push back. And there's, there's a good way to do that in a bad way. Um, and for me, and especially in this kind of world, at the end of the day, it's always going to be that band's record. You know, and so yeah. for a label, your place is to really facilitate, help, and enable them to put out the best record they can, and to nudge and push and and give feedback, and have built a relationship where that's a healthy thing. You know what I mean? And not like, yo, who's this fucking dickhead trying to tell me he doesn't like the artwork we submitted? You know? Definitely. Should uh, we should we get Tom back in here? What's yeah? What's I, I, I I I just tried to put him back in. He was having a problem with his his machine. Uh, Ian, yep. Here's a here's a question. I'm going to let you hang yourself with, and I'm curious. I'm curious about how you're going to answer this publicly. Are hardcore bands in 2020 not ambitious enough? Oh, I I think they're yeah they're not ambitious enough at all. I mean, Bandcamp and the the accessibility to just putting your music online has made it so that's the be all end all. And then that's when the, the fetishization of the fucking labels starts happening. If they think that instead of going on tour, the key to having fans is, is to have a record label, which is backwards. The, the band is the thing. The labels are nothing without the bands. Like, and I, I love and respect all the labels that I've worked with. And um, I have no hard feelings towards a single label I, I, I've ever worked with. But they would be nothing without the bands. And I think that now there's this super backwards way, especially now when it's really way more convenient to release and not need a, a record label. I don't understand why people are caring about it. I think it'd be so much cool if someone was like, yeah, I straight up don't need any of this shit. Like, I'm the shit. What's up? I'm going to go on tour for six months and like release my own record. Because that's, that's possible. I think that, uh, I mean, Trash Talk did it where they, they, they said we're we're releasing our own record, you know, and and um, and that was the most punk thing. And Hoax also did it, where they released on all these hypey labels, and then they said, "Guess what? We're releasing our own LP." You know, like that's that's punk. They're like, "We don't need a label. You are here to buy our record because you like our record. You don't like our record label." No, yeah. I think that's a a well said point. Like, don't the idea of people being beholden to a label 
like, yo, a label can build a really fucking cool thing, and it can turn into something that does push people to check stuff out. But even the coolest fucking label, no matter how cool it is, if they're putting out trash, they get maybe three or four strikes in a, a three-year window before people are like, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's uh, it, the idea of what's cool today being cool forever is just like a, a silly idea. So, so I'm with Ian on creating your own space on that shit. But creatively, are these bands ambitious enough is my question. I mean, that's that's a question for all of art of all time. I mean, I, it, there's definitely a, a very small amount of things that I am personally stimulated by. Uh, and that's that's just always going to be the case because it's been the case. You know, like I can look at any era of hardcore, hardcore and, and not, and like, not like, like most of, most of it. it. Yo, and, and here's, here's my, my, my angle, angle on that. On that. Is, the is the question of... Question of the question yeah it's tom no worries sorry no worries um i think your speakers okay we're getting better there um the idea of creativity and being ambitious in hardcore and like yo i'm i'm less surprised or amazed or like awestruck by stuff now than I was when I was 28 and maybe even not close to when I was 18 but there's a newness when you're getting into something like this the newness of it is part of that kind of enjoyment you know and like and that's where I always have that question of art and ambition in a moving target when something's moving and evolving especially stuff that's so live oriented and energy and and especially a thing that's like youth culture. I I would say that bands could be a lot more ambitious, but there's a lot of this that is genre play, and the band that sounds like the, the best version of genre play in 2020 is going to mean just as me- much to someone as the best version of that genre play in 2010 based on their age and personal experience to it. Does that make sense? It it, it does, but I don't necessarily agree. Um, it, 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 uh, it, it stands to reason, but here's what I'll say is that maybe that's why we're losing a lot of young people in this subculture. And it's turning out to be like a 25 plus subculture, because I think that we're not speaking to young people, uh, specifically like, look, like, like when hardcore bands in 1980, uh, started banging things together, uh, they were pulling from all the music leading up to that. within the spectrum of what they were aware of right but like now it feels very much that we are isolating ourselves to only the guitar music from certain genres and attempting to fit very squarely into these very narrow genres and not borrowing from all of the other music that we have been exposed to and i'm guilty of this we punish and kill the bands that do borrow liberally from different genres right uh, and uh, so, like, look, new metal influence to me is offensive. We've talked about this a million times. It's trash to my ear, but it makes perfect sense for a kid of a certain age, and I, I support it for that reason. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, that makes more sense to me than a kid that wants to sound 
like youth of today. Exactly. Does that make sense? Like, uh, yeah, it does. Well, and, and, and the only thing I'll push back on that is that maybe some of that, like the codification and basically stratifying hardcore that happened as a like sound in the mid eighties where like the first wave of people who were doing hardcore, I don't know that it was their intent to be like, no, no, no. Like, Listen to the negative approach, seven inch. Listen to the first few Black Flag records. Listen to this. And then that's what the sound is moving forward. And, you know, we've seen evolution in sound clearly off that. But there's always this regression to codify and say, no, this is the bounds of hardcore and this is what's okay. And we always see, we always see that now that box always expands. But I think that is a, a killer to somebody who's young and saying, oh, is that all? Okay, well, why? it becomes, it creates the cosplay of a thing. And it becomes like, wait, are we just in the fucking matrix of this this thing as opposed to being a more creative space? Ian, then pain. So I, I actually, I have, I, I've, I have a couple things I want to say, so I'm trying to figure out Sam. But I, I view Minor Threat as one of the first downfalls of hardcore. I think that Minor Threat to me is the start of traditionalism. They're the first band that I've ever heard interviewed that said, we were just trying to be bad brains. Which is, which if you talk to Mike Watt, he's saying every band was trying to be different. You know, like, like that, I think that the start of like the 82 sound and on is where everyone started to be concerned with traditionalism versus expression. You know, like, and obviously there's a ton of expression within that. And obviously, even though Cro-Mags also said that they just wanted to be bad boys, it's, it, it's a completely different sound and, and completely and kickstarted a different genre, even though it's exactly the same stated goal as Minor Threat and it's sonically completely different. Um, I think with that, like, personally, what I'm doing is I, I take a lot from classic rock. I take a lot from death metal. I, the last thing I want to do is take from a hardcore band. Like, I have the general hardcore sound in my mind. Like, at the end of the day, Crossed Out is one of the biggest influences on me. I don't need to listen to a Crossed Out record to make an RJC record because then I'm just going to make a shittier Crossed Out record. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take things from other places, other rhythms, other things, and, and place them in it. If you're just ripping off a hardcore record to make a hardcore record, you're just making a, a, a worse version, in my weird, opinion. A weird Xerox. I, I mean, I think that's an interesting point about Minor Threat, uh, to, a perspective, rather. But it's because you do, when you start to see that, that style, and, and California is a different beast, and there's some different spots, but you do, and it's something I reference a lot, like the Discord bands, they, you know, outside of, say, Government Issue, and they always kind of stood out on their own, there's a similarity in sound. If you go through the first Discord, first twelve Discord records, there's there's it's not all the same and it's not all exactly, but you know you can find a lot of commonality in that, um, and especially in the first wave of stuff. But when those bands went on to their next bands, there was some veering. They and were then, inventive after that. Yeah, after yeah. that first wave, they became pioneers again. Well, you and, know, and, and that's where I think like to to the conversations I've had on that those. The people who are instrumental in that are like, yo, that's Fugazi is as hardcore, if not more hardcore, than Minor Threat. The Evens is as hard is a hardcore band to them. You know what I mean? And that's that's like uh, like a challenge to you, the sonic codification of hardcore. P Patrick, what were you gonna say? Uh, well, uh, Ian's hot take on Minor Threat isn't isn't wrong because 
they they were then the first ones to say. Then we toured the country and we'd come back seven months later and see an exact replica of ourselves. And in some way that was a bummer and no doubt made real uh, impact on what they all decided to do next. Or like on a very modern version, talk to Justice. Justice isn't happy about every musical child he's had. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of bands out there that are trying to be TUI that are taking it too literally and don't understand that it's the individual flavor of TUI that made it work, not the uh, sonic framework of the thing. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, so yes. so th there's a, and, and I think that that's across the board. I'd be flattered if more bands sounded like mine, but I'd be bummed within a month. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'd say, oh no, this isn't going to work. Um, and Converge, Converge has never said this publicly to my knowledge, but I'd be shocked if they didn't reflect every once in a while being like, God damn, we birthed a lot of fucking shit. You know what I mean? And, and tried to, and I've always maintained that Converge, Converge's career is trying to stay ahead of their imitators and doing it successfully, which is impressive. But anyway, the, the, uh, the point is that uh, I, I think that that sort of uh, uh, racing against Jean is something that has kind of hit a dead stop. Not, not exactly. There's obviously bands that are doing creative stuff out, out there right now, but uh, I, I really feel that we should be racing against genre, even if you're a genre loyalist that loves whatever it is. I think that not your obligation, but in some ways it should just be your vocation to, to be pushing it. I don't want to say advancing it, just to be doing anything with it. I mean, like, look, Iceburn, no, not a living human being enjoys listening to Iceburn. But if you listen to Iceburn, you go, hmm, I kind of respect it. You know, you know what I mean? Because it was like they were – we're not just talking about hardcore kids. That's one thing. We've talked a million times about hardcore kids that go on to do their next thing. The, that was them playing hardcore music but being like, you know what? Why are these songs structured at all? You know, <laughs> like, like – Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make an argument uh, early on. You, I mean, who do you want to pull from? You could say uh, uh, Void, uh, No Trend. You know, you know, like, like there's there's acts that you could say were Flipper that were yeah. that were No means no. Yeah. Yeah. That was okay. Wait. I just want to. I want to push back against using Void in the same sentence as No Trend. Void made very direct and actually influential hardcore. No Trend is just a shirt band. Oh well. I mean, I think, vo firstly, if you were going to fight, Void is an influence on, uh, I would say, 0.04% of active hardcore acts in 2001. Like, Void is... Yeah, yeah, if you're saying if they, if whether or not they have a, 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 an impact on the current one as far as bands currently ripping them off, sure. But does that... you're So then at the same point, you're going to say that if there's there's not bands sounding like Minor Threat right now, so Minor Threat also is influential, is not influential, and in, by the same logic. That, that's all fine. You, you understand what I'm saying, though. These are acts. That, that yeah, I just blow it off, Pat. There's nothing. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. We're all we're all in agreement. You you just want to get off your no trend hate. What I'm saying is that it, it, the <laughs> the point the point is that they were the, these were acts that were in whatever way. Different yeah, push like just. You know, maybe maybe stated like I think no trend was it was stated. I think with Flipper it was stated. I don't think it was stated with Void. Like, hey, maybe I want to get whatever. I want to get past this. You know what I mean? Like, I, like this is cool. I'm bigger than this. I want to get past this. And I think that that's unfortunately not a place that a lot of hardcore kids in 2020 see themselves. Even if they do have other influences, 
uh, I still think that there's a weird, and and I I really I, there's a weird self limitation here. And if I'm going to harp on a on an issue that I always go off on, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that people just see hardcore as like a tourist trap. You know what I mean? Like just a thing that like they check out, they hang out for a little while, and then like there's no money in this, so I can't, I obviously can't pursue it for as long as maybe even I'd like to. And also it's a youth culture, so it's going to usher me out eventually. So you know what? I can't really give it the type of creative energy that I might give something else. And I'll push back against that because I think those types of people, I think if you actually have the creative energy to give, you give it regardless of the return. And so, and cause I know that for a fact, you and I are here and putting our all in when making no money. Maybe that's just called being a fucking idiot, a lunatic, whatever. But I think that if you have that to give, you're giving it. I don't think that you're thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to – because at the same time, we talk about the delusion of thinking that you should – a local band should put out a 7-inch with no audience. Every person thinks that, okay, so I'm going to put out this thing and I'm going to be in the biggest hardcore band and I am going to make money. You know, like uh, – it, so I think that, that it, it more so has to do with a lack of creative people or an overemphasis on traditionalism versus creativity. You know, so here's a question for both of you because I've watched it. Have you ever known a truly creative person and who, whose work you respected, what they were doing? You're like, wow, this person's doing cool stuff who got, who got burned, got burnt out on it and stopped because I so, think I've seen so, that happen. And I mean, you know, when I see a dude who I'm like, wow, this dude can write fucking riffs. This dude's doing it. It's cool. But it was a struggle. And they just said, fuck it. I'm going to be a dentist. So I'm going to let Ian be the unlikable one here. This is this is our role on the podcast that we do together. He's the unlikable one because I'm taking a, a, a more relaxed tone with this. I think that what Ian was just saying is valid enough that maybe if the energy was there, it would always be there and it would always be like you would see it radiating off of people. But I think that there's this is on a scale. I've met people that are insanely intense about their craft, their, the things they want to explore. And then I've met people that are only a six on that, that are still geniuses. You know what I mean? Like they're still talented, creative individuals, but they had to, they had to take a right turn into fatherhood. They had to take a right turn into whatever. And Ian's point is, yeah, but you'd still be writing riffs in your garage. Well, and I'm not saying about that specifically because we're talking about phases in life at that point. I'm talking about when you're in your initial investment of, of time and creativity, you're not thinking, oh, I'm not going to invest all this creativity because I'm not going to make enough money. You're see, doing it because it's, it's an inherent part of yourself and you need to impart it. You and I behave that way, but we gotta, I, I'm with Bob that I've seen too many people who- Burning are, out is different. I mean, you cannot tell me that dude- was it Nate from Cruel Hand? He played in every oh. band, toured in every fucking band, and then suddenly he was gone. Yep. And that's because he burned himself out. He did too much. I could see myself doing that. I've been going to practice space every day for, or I've either been in the practice space or the studio at least five days a week for the past month and a half. I'm fucking sick of it. I don't want to go to the practice space anymore, but I'm still going. <laughs> so, well, like, and, and, and that's the part to me, too. It's like, <clears throat> You know, it's there's the phases, you know, like, yeah, there's probably a phase for most people where it's full bore. And there's some people who just that's it. That's all they got, because they're willing to have a threshold in their life where if my creativity is maximized, that is my quality of life. 
if I'm able to do the things I want to do and create the way I want to create, I don't, that's how I want to spend my time and anything else is pretty superfluous. However, even a person with no attachments or no life phases in front of them, I can see that there's another mindset where it's like, Jesus, my quality of life is at a spot where, you know, maybe I get that job at the bank, you know, and, yeah. and like that, that's, and it's a wild thing because I don't consider that person no longer creative, but they're making choices. And it's, it's to me sad to see, because I think there's a, there's realities where those things can, can, can intersperse and phase together. But, you know, you end up seeing that and it's, it is a sad thing to me. Well, and I'm going to call Tom in on this one because I think Tom is a good example of somebody who can legitimately turn it on and turn it off. You know what I mean? So, so Tom has had these periods of his life where he's totally driven in music and, and creative and has a high volume output, but then pivoted to achieving in other things and then came back to music when it suited him. And I think that we got to acknowledge that that sort of person, granted, Tom is a bit rare, but like it, oh, it's, it, but it, that sort of person is real too. So I guess, Tom, I, I'd like to hear your view on it, but my point here is that it, it's, uh, I think Ian and I both have a habit of thinking in extremes and I'm trying to get myself into the, the mindset that like, yo, know, not everybody is like me, but they still are like probably driving. They're still, they can discouraged i'm i just have a mental illness where i like to live in poverty but other people can be discouraged <laughs> i mean i think the big difference with like you guys and say me like i never considered myself an artist you know what i mean like there's certain people and like certain musicians or writers whatever like they have to do this every day because it's like a fucking itch in their brain that they have to pick up a guitar or fucking write down words or draw something like i never had that kind of push it was just like something i did with my friends so i think like i think that's different like i don't like it's not like i need to write this song tomorrow it's more like well i have to write this tomorrow because we're going to practice you know what i'm saying like i think like there's an artistry to it that um not everyone has and i don't think i ever had that kind of push well, I mean, I would say that to speak to what Pat's saying is you found your way to this podcast regardless of whatever in act. I don't I don't know about exactly how active you are musically or not, but obviously to speak to the compulsion that we're speaking about everything right, else, right, like exactly. you're you're here talking to me and I'm sitting in a bathroom and you <laughs> are an adult, you know, <laughs> like uh, so there, there's I think that speaks to the larger thing of like the inescapability of or of, of everything that we're talking about with it. Right. And I think there's like a, there's a love for it no matter what. And I think, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, even talking about the podcast and in general, like when we talked about doing this and like Patrick and I talked about it and then Patrick, Bob and I talked about it. Like if you said, Hey, you know what? Maybe 200 people a week will listen to it. I'd be like, Holy shit. 200 people a week. Never expect, you know what I mean? And like, we were going to do it whether or not people listened or didn't. So yeah. like that was, I was more compelled to do this. Or felt more like it kind of um, like compelled to do this rather than be like, I have to put out an EP this year because I have so much to say. I have more, more to say here than I did ever in a band. Well, and the one part I will say to Tom is I, I think you underrate that there's a different like making an art. But like this is a creative thing to me. Like doing this podcast is a pretty creative endeavor. Oh, absolutely. You know? And so that's like I, I think it's it's 
being able to find your spaces for it. I, I think there's it's such a cool thing to be able to spend that time with it. But, you know, I guess this came out, uh, this, this all kind of spun out of Patrick asking the question, do we think that hardcore bands are ambitious enough, creative, creatively, or creatively ambitious enough in 2020? Is that is that what the initial question was, PK? That was the question, and I'm I was teeing up Ian to kind of like go off on one. He refused to take the bait, really. But yeah, he <laughs> killed you on that. But, but it's uh, I still say what I had to say. I mean, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I, I do think that it's a very understimulating period. But I think if I was as creatively active in any era of the genre, I would feel the same. I could see me if I was an OG fucking 80 to fucking 84 guy or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, fuck X, Y, and Z of my contemporaries because they're not creative. Like I could see, especially because I'm from California. I mean, if you're from California and you see what the traditionalism that takes root over on the East coast, I could see you being like, yeah, fuck that shit or whatever, you know, like, um, and like I would be, inclined to that way of thinking regardless of era i think so um yes so here's what we learned is that ian's doing his self-aware thing when i just want him to bark on people uh (laughs) all right so so uh i i also think that wait do your impression of what you think that i i should be doing real quick i know bob wants us to wrap it up but uh i i want i wanted you to offer not no names obviously but i wanted i wanted you to uh give examples of how some of the more creative stuff is getting no shine at all and uh meanwhile some of the less creative stuff is what people gravitate to and why that might be Uh, i feel no chip on my shoulder about that i don't think because you create something you're owed an audience so all because I like something doesn't mean it's what everyone should like. And honestly, I have fucking weird tastes. Like I, I, I like things more challenging. I think I, li- I like things more extreme than other people do. So um, therefore, I'll never like what's in vogue fully. So I mean, it's, think about how much creativity ends up being screaming into a closet full of zero people. You oh. know what I mean? Whether that's writing, whether that's art, whether it's, it's illustration like whether it's music there's so much out there and like any any expectation of audience is diluted perspiration leads to fucking audience you know you're gonna have to work no matter what your creative creative outlet is i think hardcore is honestly one of the easiest platforms to get an audience um because you can kind of you have a built-in thing and a culture that, you know, we talk about youth oriented, we talk about this, we talk about traditionalism, but, 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 but one of the things that's really gotten built in over the past 20 years is that ease of access has inspired and pushed an inkling that's always been there. There's always been the people who are seeking out demos and new music all the time, and now it's easier than ever. I have friends who it's like, yo, they're hearing three to five new bands every week. And checking stuff out. Like, it's almost like it's a disease. They just have to hear new shit, you know? Right. Hardcore is one of the only places, only things, only types of music or genres or scenes or whatever that has an infrastructure built. An infrastructure and a focus to it, yeah. Motley Crue didn't set up, like, touring for the fucking, you know, 200 capacity metal act. You know, but Black Flag did it for the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. 
and also Bob makes a good point that that willingness to seek out new music is very rare within genres. It's not like, you know, like rap does it and, and we do it. And I don't see it in very many other places. Uh, you know, I mean, within micro- I mean, if you're a pop person, though, how would you? You know what I mean? Like, if you were, like, civilian music lover, someone who likes music and goes to fucking 10 shows a year, like, where do you find, like, you know, as alt as you get is, like, liking, like, churches. Yeah. You know well, what I'm no, saying? It's a good point. I, I wonder about that in the new space. You see certain things, like, people who really like music, I think about it, like, punk and hardcore kids weren't the only people... Uh, lurking at Tower Records in the 90s. You know, there were always those people who were like, I'm going to check out new stuff. And there were people who were into like deeply into jazz or classic rock or or country, for example. But hardcore is so hyper focused on that. And so much, like you said, Pat, or Tom, there were, there's an infrastructure built. And this is one of the wings of it is this idea of supporting it. And you see it in the media, you see it in, in the way zines covered it from jump. Hey, got this new demo from fucking, you know, Idaho. And hey, got this new band came through and check out the new bands and check out the young bands. And like, that's always been this focus. Do you think like in punk and hardcore, like as terrible as it can be sometimes and how kind of it eats itself. Do you think it's like the only genre that actually roots for itself? Because like, you know, like fucking, you know. Whoever, fucking Vince Neil, fucking Tim McGraw is not being like, you should really fucking, you know, like no Keep one's like searching the, the that. new Florida Georgia line. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? I think like for punk and hardcore, they actually like try to kind of rebuild as it moves while I don't know if anyone, any other kind of type of music does that. So well, I think some of that you see, and then there's some of it where, where the parallels, like the ugly side is that. And it's not even negative. Like, let me put this out there. I won't say ugly even. But there are times when it gets into the more established side where you start seeing older bands see that a young band has energy and go, oh, well, let's, let's hit that tour with them. And that can be a really platonic way because it's like, hey, older band has five times the fans, but younger band's going to bring in younger people. So the young band's going to benefit from the older band's fans and the older band is going to benefit from the young fans, you know? So that's it's symbiotic like that. But But I do, you know... I think in general there's a, a built-in uh, rooting for for itself factor of, of punk and hardcore, and it is kind of a cool thing. Uh, I think that might be true for bands that are active, etc. But I, I think that the weirdest the weirdest thing about hardcore is uh, how it consumes people's lives. Then they think it's lame, and then when the sh- when they can bust out the shirts later they think it's cool as fuck again. You know what I mean? Like, so, so like, uh, there's a period where people are very ashamed of hardcore. Now, uh, I already hear Tom blanching because this isn't us. I understand. But I'm saying that, like... Right, I'm saying we do this because we root for hardcore. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean... Sure, but I'm saying, like, the, the life... The, the, the life uh, line of... Uh, the, t- of uh, the typical lifespan of a hardcore kid is uh, rise, obsess... Fall, uh, uh, push away, yeah, um, and then inevitably circling around. Oh, that was the coolest thing I ever was into in my life. Yes, and and then it's and then but then it's nostalgia, which then makes me want to hit it with a shovel and put it in the backyard. 
Yep. No, that's <laughs> so it, it's uh, uh, which, but don't get me wrong. Everything we should just be fair. Everything has a life cycle, and it's nice that people come back to the thing at all. It really is, but it, it can be frustrating when when people come back and they're only interested in in the bands that they already own shirts of or whatever. And and uh, not to big up us to uh, big up us too much, but I, I do really appreciate uh, any influence that we've had on older listeners who tell us that they've checked out a lot of new shit. So th- th- that shit is cool to me always because otherwise. I always find it discouraging, man. Like, like something that I'm really invested in. Nobody's got to share that with me, but I do find it a, a little off-putting or disenfranchising when I see people have this very predictable life cycle that involves zealotry, then rejection, then this sort of like it's like this is like Jehovah's Witness shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or like rejecting a church. Uh, as a kid and then coming back to it in a social way when you're an adult even though you've spent like 10 years being like being like fuck it you know blah blah and then I like psychobilly right right <laughs> yeah yeah and then, then come, and then coming back to a church and being like you know i might not believe in all this shit but it's good for my family you know what i mean like like and i used to see a lot of that in hardcore and i'm kind of glad that maybe i'm seeing less yo uh, Ian, thank you for being on. Yeah, thank you yes. so much. That was awesome. You need to have you back. So, uh, everybody, thank you. Uh, Can I plug some bands real quick? Just plug, just go, quick plug, plug, plug. Okay, go. everyone should check out Gone Wrong. They're a band from Vermont that's like the most real shit going because they're all skaters that are like Ooh, young kids. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. stayed with them. We stayed with them once because uh, we knew their dad. And oh. um, awesome. And he's like an old graffiti dude from Seattle and like someone in our band knew him. We stayed with them. We met the kids and then like, I don't know. It to me is the most spirit of hardcore thing currently going. Um, and then just uh, on top of that, I, like video prick from Seattle, punitive damage from Vancouver. They're in the uh, RJC family tree currently. Uh, just that's again, just real hardcore. I don't know. I just fuck with real hardcore and, and, I, and I think all that's real hardcore. So uh, check oh, that yeah. shit out. Agree. Yo, thank you. Uh, Ian will be back, everybody. Yes, thank you. Peace.